0: Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. On this undisclosed bunker, here's your house,
1: Tony Reed.
2: What's up, old boy? What's up, old boy? Hey, I got this uh, idea for a uh, country song. Like, what if we bring all of our friends together, sing about the quarantine, and just have a good old time, as best as we can have right now? Man, I am in. I am ready. Let me FaceTime Micah. All right, call Micah. Let's get it together. Let's go. All right. that in like a metaphorical sense, not a literal sense, because if it came together, that would be the antithesis of what quarantine means, but good thing we have FaceTime, because we can hang out and make dumb songs like this, and shout out to all the healthcare workers out there, and, and Tim, I really like that chorus, let's hit that one more time.
3: Quarantine, quarantine, drinking whiskey like vaccine, waving at the neighbors, social distancing, quarantine, quarantine, wearing all like sunscreen, quarantine.
2: Thanks for watching the video. Huge shout out to everybody that sent a clip in to be in the edit. Really appreciate it. And we kind of wanted to use this song as a fun way to promote the quarantine. And also the Red Cross is almost at an all-time low in blood right now. So get out there uh, and support these organizations and nonprofits that are really combating the virus. Um, you know, at Black Rifle Coffee, right now we're donating coffee to first responders and medical professionals to take care of them because they're putting in such hard work. So Hope you guys enjoyed it. Have a great day and uh, let's all stay together and support the people that are taking care
4: of us. Cheers. Oh. And welcome back to Flower Politic Podcast. It's the 30th of March year of our Lord 2020. Decided to go early, had a fishing trip planned, but the weather went to shit on us. So, um, pushed that off and went into town, did a little uh shopping yesterday. I thought, what the hell? I got I got enough well, we always have enough information to put out and so we'll do a one subject just politics podcast should keep it under three hours and then uh on uh, friday or saturday we'll do a new social media nugget ones to make it kind of fun our intro was matt best 11x that's his quarantine song a lot of guys from ufc up in there it was actually a really cute video and i thought i'd play it up front to do something fun, because the rest of this podcast is going to be kind of evil. There is a lot of hate going on. It has progressively gotten worse, and we're going to start our show with what I always say. They hate you. They hate Christians. They hate people in the middle of the country. They hate everything. So we have a lot of hate that's going to come out. Um, I wanted to start up front with, I guess we've been pushed to the end of April now, for social distancing. Um, I'm still a little confused on that. I I don't understand the need, but I'm not a doctor. I think some parts of the country can go back to work, but I guess we're not going to do that. Um, 9,000 reservists or inactive reserves or retirees answered the call. They're starting that screening process in the Army, so those people are going to come back to work, which is really cool. Um, I thought that was something neat. The Kennedy Center, they collected their $250 million. Uh, here, here's just a timeline from Kerry Care, Kellerman. The Kennedy Center timeline completes a $250 million res- renovation. 2019 receives $41 million from PAC taxpayer. Yesterday gets $25 million from relief bill. Today tells musician will stop paying them and then donates $5 million to the DNC that all happened in one day. So, every time somebody says something about the NRA, I want you to tell them to shut their fucking yapper. Um, the NRA isn't the money laundering machine that the media and the left make it sound, but that's that projection again. They're projecting so that people won't look into their backyard, and their backyard's pretty ugly. Um, the Democrats have Planned Parenthood. We have all these arts. And, and it all just keeps to being, seems to be a money laundering thing. It's it's very interesting how the left talks about dark money. But it seems like the DNC is financed by dark money. Because it's pretty dark when it comes out of your wallet, goes in as taxes, and then is hand back out as subsidies to all these organizations. thought that was kind of cute. Um also, as we start, uh, there's a lot of, uh, he's killing us. That, that's the latest thing. It's going to be religion, and he kills us. And attacking people for saying media is gleeful, but, yeah, they are. But if you say that, you pointed the spotlight on them, so they're not going to have that. Uh, Nancy Pelosi put out this tweet on January thir- 31st, and then you're going to go straight into a New York councilman talking. These people, remember, were totally against what the administration was saying back in January, but we're doing revisionist history now where, well, Trump isn't acting, or Trump's not acting enough, or he didn't act fast enough, the government's failing, or as Chuck Todd will do in our biggest, ugliest soundbite of the day, does he have blood on his hands? But January 31st, Nancy Pelosi said the Trump admin's expansion of its unlawful travel ban is a threat to our security, our values, and rule of law, barring more than 350 million people from predominantly African countries from traveling to the United States. The travel ban they fought and called it xenophobic. Don't let them forget that. And here's the New York council person
0: the risk to new yorkers for coronavirus is low and that our preparedness as a city is very high there is no reason not to take the subway not to take the bus not to go out to your favorite restaurant and certainly not to miss the parade next sunday i'm gonna be there
4: simultaneously um Mark D. Levine, in powerful show of defiance, of coronavirus scare, huge crowds, crowds gathered in New York City's Chinatown for a ceremony ahead of annual Lunar New Year. If you're staying away, you're missing out. Commissioner Oxiris Barbot, Today our city is celebrating the Lunar New Year Parade in Chinatown, a beautiful cultural tradition with a rich history in our city. I want to remind everyone to enjoy the parade and not to change any plans due to misinformation spreading about Corona. Do we remember that? They both have Coronavirus now. And as of today, nothing's really changed. New York City... Is the worst. We have one hundred forty-two thousand seven hundred ninety-three uh, cases, twenty-four ninety deaths. New Jersey, uh, New York has fifty-nine thousand six forty-eight, and New Jersey has thirteen three eighty-six. Not gloating. Just pointing out, they're the same people that were saying it's xenophobic to want to distance, to do travel bans. These are the people right now. And with our scare last week of, hey, maybe we should look at quarantining New York City or of people come out of New York City. Maybe we should quarantine them for a while because it's pretty bad there. That was deemed... Ridiculous. You're scaremongering. And they didn't do it. But that's where the cases are now. And it's kind of scary. Really scary. That they're doing nothing. I have a video later on of people in Queens. It's like, there's no social distancing. We went to... The lake, as I spoke on the last podcast, I might have seen 10 people total hiking, biking, things like that. They're talking about closing the LBL, Land Between the Lakes, because there's too many people out there. And we have 16 cases now in our county, 16. And it's a retirement home, that's where it was. That's Our numbers went from 8 to 16 because the retirement home got it, and 8 people got it at once. So it's not even rampant. But where I live, as stated, I went out yesterday, and and I was wearing a a mask and gloves when we went to Kroger. So was half the people in there. We, We were distancing. We were wearing a mask and gloves. We were disinfecting our hands and the groceries when we brought it in the house. We were taking it seriously, and I don't even live in an area where it is serious. But I'll play it now. This is a New York park. This this is what they're doing. They are not social distancing. At all. That park was packed. It was packed with people, kids, nobody was social distancing. And the numbers keep going up. But instead of addressing that, maybe everybody needs to take this seriously. Maybe, you know, it's the virus is pretty bad and uh, we need to look at ourselves. The conglomerate of which is not a word, the conglomerate of the New York City media, they decided to go with articles blaming everybody else. Our first is from the New York Times. The religious rights hostility to science is crippling our coronavirus response. That's in the New York Times. Trump's response to the pandemic has been haunted by the science denialism of his ultra-conservative religious allies. Donald Trump rose to, okay, I'm not going to go on all this stuff, Cornwall Alliance, stewardship. On March 15, Guillermo Maldonado, who calls us apostle and hosted Mr. Trump earlier this year at a campaign event in Miami, urges his congregants to show up for worship service in person. Do you believe God will bring his people to his house to be contagious with the virus? Of course not. By all accounts, Trump's tendency to trust his gut over the experts on issues like vaccines and climate change does not come from any deep-seated religious conviction, but he's perfectly in tune with the religious nationalists who form the core of his base. In his daily briefings from the White House, Mr. Trump actively disdains and contradicts the message coming from his own experts and touts as yet unproven cures. Not every pastor is behaving recklessly, of course, and not every churchgoer in the uncertain times is showing up for service. Far from it. Yet none of the benign use of religion in this time of crisis has anything to do with Mr. Trump's expressed hope that the country would be open up and just raring to go by Easter, by mid-April. But Mr. Trump did not invoke Easter by accident, and many of his evangelist allies are pleased by the vision of packed churches all over the country. I think it would be a beautiful time, the president said. Religious nationalism has brought to American politics the conviction that our political differences are a battle between absolute evil and absolute good. Now I want you to see the projectionism in that. It is not religious people on Twitter attacking people's opposing view by saying, fuck your God, has your God saved you from the virus right now? It's the left that invokes religion. I mean, let's just pause for a second. And de Blasio attacked only Jews and Christians on the you will close your church now or you'll close it permanently.
5: Everyone has been instructed that if they see worship services going, uh, services going on, uh, they will go uh, to the officials of that congregation. They'll inform them they need to stop the services and disperse. If that does not happen, they will take additional action up to the point of uh, fines and potentially uh, closing the building permanently.
6: Let's talk about the way that you've handled uh, the response in New York City. I want you to take a listen to yourself. And your message to New Yorkers, these are three different clips, one's from January, one's from February, and one's from early this month.
5: It's important just go about your lives, uh, continue living as you have. New Yorkers should go about our lives, continue doing what we do. This should not stop you from going about your life, should not stop you from going to Chinatown and going out to eat. We want people still to go on about their lives. We want people uh, to rest assured that a lot is being done to protect them.
6: That last clip was from March 13th, just about two weeks ago. In retrospect, is that message, at least in part, to blame for how rapidly the virus has spread across the city?
5: Jake, we should not be focusing, in my view, on anything looking back on any level of government right now. This is just about how we save lives going forward. We all were working. Everybody was working with the information we had, and trying, of course, to avoid panic. And at that point, for all of us, trying to keep, uh, not only protect lives, but keep the economy and the livelihoods together, keep ensuring that people had money to pay for food and medicine. I mean, this was a very different world just a short time ago. But the bottom line is, none of us have time to look backwards. I'm trying to figure out how we get through to Sunday, next Sunday, and then what we do the week after that. And that's the only thing we should be talking about in this country. And by the way, any other place in this country uh, that thinks this is just going to pass them by and is going to be a non-issue, it's in all 50 states now. And what we're all mm-hmm. learning at the front line is this moves very, very fast in a way none of us have ever experienced in our lives. So the focus has to be on getting the personnel, the ventilators, the supplies where they need to be. And then when each region of the country starts to see that improvement the way Dr. Fauci does describe to you, when you actually see the caseloads go down and you actually have the testing to know what's going on, then send those personnel, send those ventilators to the next place that needs them most. That's what we're going to have to do. And I think the military is the only uh, part of our nation that can actually organize and engineer such a massive effort.
6: So, uh, Mr. Mayor, you say you don't think you should look backwards, but you've criticized President Trump for, quote, actions that are far far, behind the curve. I mean, Mr. Mayor, weren't your actions in this outbreak also far, far behind the curve?
5: Jake, I in real time said, and this was weeks and weeks ago as it was happening, that we were not being given the testing we needed. I think the big historical point here that will be looked back on is if this country had had the testing when we needed it, this could have been a very different reality. But there's no time to go back over that There's only time to focus on getting through the next week and the week after that. I mean, you could ask all the questions you want. They're fair. But I think the time to deal with these questions is after this war is over, because literally here in New York City, it feels like a wartime environment. We I'm talking to doctors, nurses, frontline public health leaders. They're literally trying to figure out what's going to happen just days from now. And they're watching an escalation, Jake, that never we've never seen in our lives. The only comparison is to 100 years ago, uh, the Spanish influenza pandemic. Uh, The only comparison in terms of our economy and our lives is to the Great Depression. None of us have ever experienced this. We've got to focus on today, tomorrow, next week, if we're going to get through this.
4: I threw in the Jake Tapper, and then that was a softball interview. That's the only hard question he had. But in there... And I can't get the exact soundbite, so it looks like I'm doing what the left does and just lumping a statement and making it fit what I want. He talks about synagogues and churches, but those videos have been scrubbed off the net. He didn't say anything about Muslim. He specifically said synagogues and churches, because once again, synagogues and churches are the ugly religions that don't support the DNC. Muslims do in their mind, which I highly doubt they do all the time because saying a group of people does one thing at, you know, in mass is the heart of what's wrong with the left. This article then brings on Falwell, then it brings on figures like anti-LGBT activist Steve Holtz added to the course, denouncing the concern, as you guessed it, fake news, one of the first casualties of fact-free hyper-partisanship, is confidence in government, this incompetence of the Trump administration in grappling with this crisis is by now well known, at least among those who receive actual news. February 2020 will go down in history as a month in which the United States, in painful contrast with companies like South Korea and Germany, failed to develop mass testing. But now we have the only testing that works. They then go into how awesome China is. And then they go into less well-known as a contribution of the Christian nationalist movement, ensuring that our government is in the hands of people who appear to be incapable of running it. Consider the case of Alex Azar, who is Secretary of Department of Human Health Service. Piece of shit. Or maybe he will be remembered for establishing a division of conscious and religious freedom. More bashing. The Bible study group attended by him and Mr. Trump's cabinet. A bunch of evil people. I can't read this whole thing. I'll just break something. But the medical knowledge didn't stop him from asserting on March 8th that for the unhealthy individual thinking of attending one of Mr. Trump's then ongoing large campaign rallies, there's no reason that you shouldn't go. They bring that in. You'll see that Christian nationalism played a major role in creating and promoting the economic foundation of America's incompetent response to the pandemic. For decades, Christian nationalist leaders have lined up with the anti-government, anti-tax agenda, not just as a matter of pol- politics, but as a matter of theology. Ken Blackwell, the Family Research Council, one of the Christian rights major activist group, has gone so far as to cast food stamps and other forms of government assistance for essential services as contrary to the biblical model. Limited government, according to his line of thinking, is godly government. When a strong centralized response is needed from the federal government, it doesn't help to have an administration that has never believed in a federal government serving the public good. Ordinarily, the consequences of this kind of behavior don't show up for some time. In the case of pandemic, the consequences are too big to ignore. Catherine Stewart is the author of The Power Worshippers Inside the Dangerous Rise of Religious Nationalism. She's an atheist. She's a lesbian. She hates Christians. The Daily Wire did a story on it and pretty much showed, you're going to go through this, but what about your side? Mark Hemingway, global pandemic arose in the communist country that persecutes all religious believers and even puts them in camps. And here's the New York Times on the crisis, beyond parody. Ben Shapiro, yes, New York City, the epicenter of this outbreak is loaded with evangelicals. So is China. Larry the Leech, they just can't help themselves, can they? Behold the sheer stupidity of blaming the virus on Christians. Rod Durer, I have been saying for a couple of weeks now that the overclass is going to find a way to scapegoat religious conservatives, especially white evangelicals for the virus. Then, the New York Times. Auntie camel once again we see the evangelicals as descriptively a worthless term, fringe figures in a mainstream evangelicalism, prosperity gospel, Pentecostal, are held up as evidence of some sort of pattern of anti-science and anti-critical thinking. Tim Carney, you simply knew this crap was coming. It bubbled through the tweets, surfaced as the sucky left-wing sites, and now it's at the New York Times. It satisfies all the worst prejudice of many of their readers. Michael Ferris, my evangelical wife, is out volunteering at a food kitchen right now, making sure people who have lost a job are still fed. But sure, let's blame a specific group of people for a worldwide pandemic. Ella Mizira, the road to coronavirus hell was paved by the Chinese Communist Party. But of course, the New York Times isn't going to say that. It's what I said on the last podcast. They're stuck at home. Their hate is swelling. The world's not going. they got to blame somebody. And they're really angry that the numbers, as we'll see with the Marco Rubio attack they had, they're not going their way. Because they don't look at it as this is just a virus. It doesn't give a fuck if you're a prog or con. It doesn't give a fuck if you voted for Trump or you didn't vote for Trump. It doesn't give a fuck if you believe in God or you don't believe in God. It's a fucking virus. They see everything political. So the red state, blue state didn't work out because New York keeps going up. New Jersey keeps going up. Blue states are going up. Yes, conservative states are going up, but they're not going up exponentially. And so they're getting angry. And so they'll, they'll lash out at fucking whatever. Here are two sound bites: One liberal bashing Christians during this. And then a person brought on to Fox to counter this stupid fucking article.
7: Go
8: home! There's a stay-at-home order that you are literally not a black... Totally!
9: Yeah, the, the Bible... I need to preach the word of God Go here. home! I need to reach oh, people out gonna here.
10: Call you asshole!
11: I will continue screaming. Would you like that? Because I'm actually finding it really,
8: really relaxing.
12: Well, why don't you explain to me why what I'm doing ah!
10: Go the
6: fuck home. Why don't you like what I'm doing? Go the fuck, fuck the home. Go the fuck
3: home.
1: Well, today, the president and a fair number of his religious supporters, the targets of a blistering New York Times op-ed today. The title, The Road to Coronavirus Hell Was Paved by Evangelicals. Now, it's been changed late this evening to this. The religious rights hostility to science is crippling our coronavirus response. Joining us to respond to the attack tonight, Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Uh, Tony, good to have you back with us tonight.
13: Thanks, Shannon. Good to be with
14: you.
1: All right. I want to read a little bit from the piece. It starts out saying Donald Trump rose to power with the determined assistance of a movement that denies science, bashes government and prioritizes loyalty over professional expertise. In the current crisis, we are all reaping what that movement has sown. Tony.
13: Shannon, it's, it's reprehensible that the New York Times would allow this hate-filled, bigoted rant in their paper at a time of a national crisis when people are dying. It appears that they cannot put politics aside to uh, work for the well-being of the nation. I mean, they're more interested in criticizing President Trump and his supporters than they are containing the coronavirus. Um, it, it, it's, it, it's sad, quite frankly, that this is how they respond to the president and to his supporters.
1: Well, the conversationalist, uh, had a very similar piece talking about this theme, saying, for the most part, the American press remains deferential to authoritarian Christians, their term. That needs to change if we have any hope of stemming the influence of the radical right-wing Christians Trump has surrounded himself with. As has become clear, they threaten not only our human rights, but also our public health. I mean, Saying that evangelical Christians don't believe in the science behind the virus and what's happening, they're continuing to have church services and meetings, and now they are an existential threat to the survival of the American people.
13: Well, well Shannon, first off, let's go back do a little history here. We would not have hospitals in America if it weren't for churches. In fact, in New York City, two of the three top hospitals have their roots in the, f- the faith community—a Presbyterian and a, a Jewish hospital. The people on the left are the ones that have trouble with science. They're the ones that have a problem with the chromosomes that, design, or that define male and female. Uh, Christians don't have a problem with science. In fact, while they're attacking Christians, it's the Christians that are out there serving the first responders. In fact, many of the first responders are Christians. Like my daughter, who's an evangelical who is working in the hot zone in the ER room, who volunteered to serve and work with the corona patients, the coronavirus patients. So this is just, again, this is the New York Times. Attacking people of faith, but it's not new Shannon. We go back to the 1980s when they talked when the Washington Post talked about how they're uneducated, easily led. This is every time that the, the Christians in this country are influencing the policy, they rant against them. And of course, then the next gen, the,
4: the next cup cycle, it'll be that they're dying. They'll, they'll write the obituary. I fucked that up. That's a lady on a street corner in Washington, the state, Seattle, the city, losing her shit on a guy preaching on the corner. Because it's who they are. This week, the New York Times did an obituary just for New Yorkers. Inside that obituary was just people of color or gay people that died of the virus. I did a simple tweet saying, I don't remember seeing this for our fallen soldiers, but for political capital, you'll do these long things on people who died of the coronavirus to feed Dems. It's Trump's fault. Because every one of your little bylines has something to do with the government let them down. I would to block 12 people. They lost their shit. And out of the 12, six of them said, fuck your God. I never said anything about God. I never said I was a mega. I didn't say anything other than where was this for soldiers? Because they didn't put it up there to honor the fallen. They didn't do it for the poor people who have died from this. And people have died. And it's sad as fuck. They did it. For political capital. It's not only the New York Times. Uh... Restart the economy is a prayer to a conservative God who demands human sacrifice. This is from Raw Story. According to classic interpretation of Jewish and Christian Bibles, a Canaanite deity named Moloch demanded the sacrifice of children. There's a long history of writing about this bloodthirsty God spending the ancient world to John Milton's Paradise Lost to modern social commentators. One recurring point is that the depravity of Moloch was reflected in the insatiable lust for innocent flesh. How could anyone worship such a monster? Readers have drawn further connections. Human sacrifice marks not only Moloch as evil, but also a population who offered their children to him. This is a biblical justification given for why Israelites should exterminate Canaanites, the worship of their God, and their customs from the Promised Land. But although the prevalent understanding of Moloch as rapacious, child-consuming God falls short in the minds of many scholars, some deep truth remains. We should absolutely judge a deity by the offerings and piety it demands. Furthermore, what people are willing to sacrifice for their God should likewise be a commentary on their deepest values. Let us call this an ethics of religious responsibility. We are responsible for the deities we follow. Many people tacitly accept this point when they opine that folks who follow other gods, or at least not their god, deserve to burn in hell. So if one deity demands things like human sacrifice, genocide, or partially to rapists and autocrats, and this should give some pause. And a society founded partly on the concept of religious liberty, people can, in theory, choose to worship such deities. And he just, I don't even know who the fuck that is. And I did read the Old Testament. I don't know that. But it's everywhere. How's your God doing now? Has your God saved you? Yeah. What does God have to do with this? Nobody's bringing God out. The only religious thing Trump says is God bless America, which every president's ever said. That's been a president since I've been alive. But, you know, they have to blame somebody. They got their stimulus they wanted. Supplies are going. People are building ventilators. I mean, let's just stay on New York City We have spent weeks of de Blasio and Cuomo attacking Trump. And then he started backing off and being a little more professional. And then a local journalist finally quarters de Blasio on the ventilators.
15: Were there ventilators found in a
2: storage facility, uh, or something that the president is claiming that there were ventilators found that they need to be distributed? Is there any truth yeah. to that? That is uh,
16: that is incorrect and grossly uninformed. the uh, The point is, we have ventilators in a stockpile, and we didn't send them to the hospitals. Yeah, of course we didn't. That's the whole point. The hospitals don't need them yet. The hospitals aren't at their apex. The hospitals have enough ventilators today, but the numbers are going up. We're planning for an apex, a high point in about 21 days. That's when we need the 30,000 ventilators, not today. Right now, we're putting them in a stockpile. So the point is, while they're in a stockpile, you must not need them. It's just ignorant. Of course you don't need them today. You need them when you hit The climb, the apex, which is 30,000. We're not there yet.
4: They had a thousand all along. That wasn't front page news. Nobody cared. They didn't give a fuck. Because it's all politics. There's a big thing on the right, and I'm not saying it's good, I'm just reporting it. They're going around the hospitals and filming it. Because every time you turn around, there's some liberal. Nurse doing a video about how they don't have anything and there's bodies piling up and there's a video today of people getting carted to a truck to be taken off to a morgue from the hospital. Maybe six bodies. It's sad. But it's the concept of all our hospitals are overrun. People are going to every hospital in New York City in video. They're not being overrun. There's not lines. It's not China, which we saw. There's not piles of bodies outside the hospital. And so they're going to their hospital and video them. Just to prove the media isn't doing that because they don't want to. They just don't want to. They want to make sure that this carries on as far as they can. I mean, Trump just saying we're going to look at opening the economy by mid-April. Now it's end of April. They'll shame them into fucking November if they can, whether we have cases or not. And once again, not saying we shouldn't keep people in certain major metropolitans should stay locked the fuck down as long as it takes. But rural areas don't even have the cases to justify what we're doing now. Sixteen cases of coronavirus, eight in one building where I live, doesn't mean we should shut the world down. But we are. Greg Gutfield, A message to grim creeps celebrating a rise in corona cases in America. We're actually turning a corner and we will emerge better and stronger. You Cretans who chuckle to themselves over scoring some ghoulish political points will not be forgotten. But they are. Anybody that can step up to a mic. I have a whole segment on AOC, some other fucking loonbat from Michigan, some Michigan governor lying and saying she's not getting supplies. But here's Nancy Pelosi starting the blood on his hands as the president fiddles. For joining us,
6: I hope you are well and safe. Uh, I know your home district of San Francisco has been particularly hard hit. President Trump, is considering relaxing federal guidelines for coronavirus for some of the less affected parts of the country do you think he should
17: well first of all let me just say how sad it is that even since the President's signing of the bill the number of deaths reported has doubled from one thousand to two thousand in our country this is such a very very sad time for us so we should be taking every precaution uh... what the president his uh, denial at the beginning uh, was deadly. His delaying of getting uh, equipment to where it, was, it continues, his delaying getting equipment to where it's needed, is deadly. And now I think the best thing would be to do is to prevent uh, more loss of life rather than open things up so that because we just don't know. We have to have testing, testing, testing. That's what we said from the start before we can evaluate uh, what the the. the uh, Nature of it is in some of these other regions as well. I don't know what the purpose of that is. I don't know what the scientists are saying to him. I don't know what the scientists said to him. When did the president know about this, and what did he know? What did he know, and when did he know it? That's for an after-action review. But as the president fiddles, people are dying, and we we just have to take every precaution.
4: So when he started to talk about banning travel, you guys called him xenophobic and fought it. You've done every investigation possible. And basically she's hinting there they're going to investigate the president after this. Because, yeah. That makes sense. Another impeachment. Cause it's his fault. It's a virus. Didn't do it for H1N1, didn't do it for SARS, didn't do it for MERS. We didn't do it for any anything under Obama. But we're going to blame the President of the United States. Just going to blame the President of the United States. Because it's his fault. We're not going to say local people... We're not going to say, why don't hospitals, don't they have a stockpile of stuff like this? We're not going to talk about the local people like fucking de Blasio and and Cuomo lying they don't have ventilators and they have thousands sitting there. And the reason why they're sitting there is because they don't need them. But they're making the political points by saying, we don't have enough ventilators. We're not going to talk about any of that. We're just going to say, and once again, not a Trumper. Not a trumper but that's some fucked up shit no pushback uh, tapper didn't push anybody back chuck todd instigated later in our show the the media is also fuck it fuck trump let's get all the points we can because as we'll see in a bit the polls are good and we got to keep knocking them down and not showing the briefing didn't work because people are still just going to watch a briefing on Fox. Because they want the briefing. So, here's Hollywood. We'll cover some Hollywood stuff. Do a long soundbite of just the media doing any angle they can for our music bumper today. Here, Here's what's been on TV. For Jimmy Kimmel yelling from his home at racist Trump to shut up the share... Condemning the president as a liar and a murderer, the following are the most obnoxious examples of celebrity spewing. <clears throat> Jimmy Roast races Trump from his home. Trump, meanwhile, has a catchy little nickname for the coronavirus. He now calls it the Chinese virus. Every chance he gets because, you know, they say a great way to prevent a virus from spreading is the name of something racist. That way, people keep it on the down low. I don't know why he does this. Actually, I do know why he does it. It's a deflect blame away from him. It's like when we started calling Eric and Don Jr. the Ivana kids. We are right now, we are basically living through a disaster movie in which the president is Gary Busey. There's like 30 from him. Uh, Westworld actor Jeffrey Wright <clears throat> condemning Trump for using the C word. Like the dead give a fuck about his racist red meat idiocy, beshitted racist brand man, game show host, worthless like a scrotal cyst. Not reading share. Rob Reiner. We'll get through this, but unfortunately not with the help of the president. For he must be removed from public square to let like a competent F- experts take over. At Jason Alexander. There's never been a good reason to listen to respect anything this man says, but this would be the worst time to start. Please aid your social distancing by keeping him and his mouth as far away from you. Save lies and ignore Trump. Bradley Whitford. Um, Samantha B. Trump wants to open up the nation by Easter because he clearly observes Christian holidays. For example, he gave up your grandparents for Lent. Yeah, he killed your grandparents. Um, Fran Drescher, capitalism is to blame. I agree, capitalism has become another word for ruling class elite. When profit is at the expense of all things of true value, we got a problem. You're rich, Fran. Shut the fuck up. Ron Perlman, probably the most fascinating thing about this uniquely cretinous being is that he has dismantled civilization with every breath he takes. As he's called to reckoning by every thinking feeling human worldwide, he seems like he's doing just fine. Rapper Ice Cube. They still haven't got to arrest the president. That's what I do. Man, I can't wait to see that man in cuffs. Bob Geldof. Trump will reduce the American public to a state of infantilism and plutocracy run by the very few very wealthy to its own ends. We're looking at something exactly like the fall of the Roman Empire. hmm Mhm. Josh Wheaton Republican Party, treasonous, poisonous murderous, racist, misogynist Democratic Party, struggling to do their best to help people misogynist at the end of the day, that's how they beat us the secret ingredient, we have never confronted Americans' basic mistrust of women then we got Kathy, Kathy Griffin from last time she lied she had an abdominal infection there was nothing wrong with them. there was nothing wrong with her Ridley Str- Scott blasts nutcase Trump, praises Governor Cuomo, calls CNN the best. That's all I need to say. And then we get in the polls. Steph- Stephanie Grisham, ABC 55 approval, POTUS management of the crisis. The Hill, 61% agree POTUS has taken a strong measure to slow or stop the spread. 66 are confident in federal government's ability to handle the outbreak. CBS, 53% say POTUS is doing a good job of handling the outbreak. Anna Navarro, a conservative supposedly. Who are these 51% of America who approve of the way this lying, narcissist, science-denying, petty, partisan, infantile, intellectual wasteland, lame excuse for a president with the vocabulary of a four-year-old, apologies to four-year-olds, is handling this crisis? Really? Really? There's my theory. She's angry. She's at the house. She hasn't been able to spoo on CNN every day. Alyssa Milano was speechless. What? So what did the New York Times do? As the coronavirus rages, Americans view of President Trump have risen slightly to reach record highs, poll show, but he remains polarizing. And they do a whole thing of he's a piece of shit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, because you can't have those polls. And that's what this is about. The polls. Can't have the polls high, so we got to blame him and say it's his fault. And it's Christian's fault. It's everybody else's fault, except for science. Because the party of science just doesn't want to acknowledge a virus is a virus. There's nothing you really can do about it. You can't pray it away. You can't hate it away. You can't gay it away. Uh, even being gay, you're still going to get this. So let's do a music music break of negative media sound takes. You're going to hear our bumper, and we're going to come in to a segment on Marco Rubio that just shows how bad our media is. It, it's really, really bad.
1: Well, George, unemployment claims are soaring across this country, but our new ABC News poll with The Washington Post has President Trump with his highest approval rating, 48% since taking office, and he has a 51% approval rating of the handling of the coronavirus crisis. Senior National Correspondent Terry Moran has more from Washington now. Good morning, Terry.
18: Good morning, you Now That approval number for the president, that's the highest he's ever reached in our ABC News poll. Uh, and it is the first time that more Americans are telling us they approve of the job that he's doing than disapprove. In a crisis, Americans tend to rally around the president and support him. Uh, and even in these bitterly partisan times, our poll shows there is at least some of that spirit of national solidarity. We do find that support for the president drops among those in the harder hit areas, Seattle and New York, among those who are more concerned themselves about getting the virus uh, and among those who know someone who's caught this virus. That said, uh, these findings in our poll and other polls, the rally on Wall Street, all this is going to reinforce the president in his belief that he's doing the right thing, that he's going in the right way, pushing to reopen the country in what he calls a tiered approach, county by county, section by section, with surveillance testing uh, sooner rather than later.
9: I had a moment today, uh, look, we've been working, you've been working endlessly, we've been talking about this for weeks, but I had a moment today that actually made me sad. It was uh, Deborah Burks appeared in an interview on the Christian Broadcasting Network. De- De- Deborah Burks is someone this country has come to rely on in those press conferences where Donald Trump goes off and says whatever he wants, and you look to Fauci and you look to Burks to, to say what, what is really going on. This is what she said today.
1: He's been so attentive to the scientific literature and the details and the data. And I think his, his ability to analyze and integrate data that comes out of his long history in business has really been a real benefit.
9: Lori Garrett, if that were true, you and I would have no business talking on a regular basis. In fact, most of what you and I do is interpreting and correcting the record for what Donald Trump has been telling this country.
0: It's really hard to hear that. I don't know exactly what's going on inside the White House. None of us do. We're not there. And there's a huge swirl of speculation and misinformation around all the details. But the one thing we do know, and Mike pointed this out in an opinion piece he had in today's New York Times, one thing we do know is there's no strategic plan. The plan seems to change every day, every press conference. We get a different We shall march down this road. We shall march down that road. I don't know if you can hear uh, around me, but all I hear all night long here in Brooklyn is sirens. All day long,
19: sirens. That's right.
0: A steady parade of ambulances. And anybody, any idiot can stick their head out the window and see, we can't
8: keep up.
20: In a world of doubt, here is a sure thing. If the federal government and the states don't get it together better... You will see sickness and death in this country like you never have before. And while there are a growing number of mayors and governors in need, there is one persistent problem at the top Trump. His two defining flaws are on flagrant display. They are literally making us sick. First, his ignorance. I have a feeling that uh, a lot of the numbers that are being said in some areas are just bigger than they're going to be. I don't believe you need 40,000 or 30,000 ventilators. He doesn't feel. He doesn't believe. What about this? When you go to war, do you give troops what they need before they come under fire? Yes, right? Same with health care workers. They need the PPE now. They need the ventilators in their localities now so when they run out of either... There are more at the ready. Either he doesn't get that, which speaks to a degree of ignorance that is more threatening than anything COVID can do, or it is just his second defining flaw on display his arrogance.
21: All I want them to do, very simple, I want them to be appreciative. I say, Mike, don't call the governor of Washington. You're wasting your time with him.
20: Don't call the woman in Michigan. Well, it doesn't make any difference what happens. If they don't treat you right, I don't call. No, you treat them right. Our money, our government, our power. We gave it to you. We don't serve you. You serve us. We have the most cases in the world. Why? Because we have a big population. There's lots of density in places. And we have major foreign travel hubs. But also because we've done the least to stop the spread. And in large part... That's on Trump. He slept on this. He lied about it. And now he is not doing enough. Reopen by Easter. That's not aspirational. It's asinine. No expert anywhere says anything like it. Reassess the life limitations we're under now. Maybe Monday, Tuesday, I'll think about it. Every state is extending. Every world expert says we have to do more, not less. He needs time. The president should say himself what his fringe friends are saying. Have you heard it? They're okay with a certain number of the frail and the greatest generation dying off to make the economy come back sooner. Just say it, because they're saying it for you, and your actions show the same inclination. Today, he uses his power with just one company, but then... He says maybe he'll back out. Then he says, I'm not sure. States are competing with one another for PPE. Prices are popping at 1,000%. Why? Because this president won't order companies to do what a real wartime president did in World War II. Now he tells one company, GE, to start after over a week of people begging him to do it. Then he walks it back. What the hell is going on? Repeating the words of great leaders does not make you one doing great things when it matters. That does. And that time is now. We are asking everyone to act now. Act for others. Take this seriously. How can we be surprised that so many, especially in red states, seem slow to the cause when the man they look to for guidance has lied about it, slow-walked it, exaggerated his success, and consistently increased the risk to all of us? Together as ever as one, is reliant on an acceptance of our interconnectedness and interdependence. We get through, in other words, keeping it simple. Suck it up. Do the right thing. Do it now. Don't make it all about yourself. No one needs that message more than this president.
14: New York's Andrew Cuomo has become an outspoken voice in this crisis with his blunt and sobering assessments of what his state faces. I caught up with the governor today to talk about the challenge and how he has responded to it.
16: Oh, it's all surreal. It has to be Lester. I mean, this is like uh, living a
14: science fiction movie, right? Our strategy here is prepare for the worst and hope for the best. This is a a military hospital, essentially, a field hospital. You spoke to National Guard troops today in a stirring speech that, if I wasn't listening carefully, I thought you were sending soldiers off to war.
16: We go out there today and we kick coronavirus ass. Do you feel at this moment like you're a wartime commander? Well, I wanted them to understand this is a different kind of enemy. It's uh, an insidious, invisible enemy. And people are going to die. People are going to die. No matter what we do, as good as we are, as hard as we work, people are going to die. And that is the sad reality of this situation And it's even compounded by the fact that this is an enemy that attacks the weakest among us. And how can we not have protected them? Right? This is my mother. This is your mother. This is our parents, our grandparents. How did we not protect them? Uh, So it is a totally different engagement than anything we have dealt with before.
14: Let's talk about ventilators. President Trump has... Suggested that maybe you don't need those tens of thousands of ventilators you have you have spoken about. Were you surprised to hear that and what's your reaction?
16: Oh look, I, I hope he's right. You know, I hope no one gets sick. I hope no one needs a ventilator. But uh, I don't operate on what I hope or what I would like to see or what my expectation is. I operate on the data and on the numbers and on the science. And every projection I have from multiple sources and these are worldwide health experts say that we have to be prepared for an apex of one hundred and forty thousand hospital beds and forty thousand ICU beds with ventilators. I hope they're wrong. I hope I don't need forty thousand. I hope I don't need thirty thousand I I hope I need, I don't need five thousand. I hope this whole facility, Lester, stays empty. And we built it for nothing. But you don't believe that's going to be the case? That's, the numbers don't say that's going to be the case.
14: Then there's the issue of personal protection equipment for health care workers. Governor Cuomo saying this on Wednesday.
16: Today, no hospital, no nurse, no doctor can say legitimately,
14: I don't have protective equipment. But the New York State Nurses Association firing back, they don't have the proper protections. Wearing a soiled mask for days at a time is not adequate. Has there been a failure of distribution? Have you pinpointed what's going wrong? What people are complaining about is
16: the CDC has changed their guidelines. To crisis guidelines about how many gowns people should have, how often they should change their gowns, how often they should change their masks, etc. They think that the change in the CDC guidelines doesn't protect them. But we have provided that equipment short term
15: to all the hospital administrators. Is it possible that Trump could postpone the presidential election?
12: No, he doesn't have the authority to do that. Now, it's possible they may start a drumbeat saying it should be postponed. But you know, John Meacham, who's become a friend, as a historian, pointed out that we're in a position where we've we've had elections in the middle of of the Civil War during the Civil War during World War One, World War Two. What happened with the virus in 1970? We we've never democracy and and dealing with this uh, crisis. Uh, Let me
5: ask you about a resolution that you
12: withdrew from
5: uh, in the past 24 hours. It was uh, essentially withdrawing from a resolution that condemned China for its handling of the coronavirus outbreak. Do you regret initially uh, signing on to that? I mean, critics call the measure xenophobic, and I think a lot of people were surprised to see your name in particular assigned to that, or part of that. Walk us through your thinking about why first be involved with it, and then withdraw.
22: The resolution has caused division. Uh, The substance, which is not xenophobic at all, uh, overshadowed by by President Trump's divisive xenophobic attempts to deflect from his administration's abysmal response to this virus. Uh, I've heard from many friends and particularly members of the Asian American community, you know, who were hurt and
6: uh, in, in, in legitimately hurt
22: at a time when our uh, community, when their community is under assault
2: um, by racists right here at home in America. So I apologize for that, and I'm withdrawing my support for the resolution uh, for that reason. I, I certainly appreciate your candor. I was going to note that there are about 650 incidents of uh, racism or uh, violence against Asian Americans
5: in the past week alone. So uh, we certainly appreciate.
9: Eddie, let's let's talk about poverty. Let's talk about... Uh, Dorothy just talked about Chicago. Uh, this is hitting Detroit now. It's hitting New Orleans, and some people think that's because uh, you know, Mardi Gras was allowed to go along, but a lot of people said it, it may be because New Orleans has a whole lot of poor people who continue to not have great access to medical care uh, who live in close quarters. Uh, the, the fact is this may be our one opportunity in 15 years to rethink poverty and the fact that being poor isn't your fault uh, and you shouldn't have to have to not get health care or not get treatment or not be able to isolate yourself because you don't have insurance if you don't have a
15: job. You know, Ali, that's, that's absolutely right. Look, there are 41 million Americans who live below the federal, federal poverty level. There are 143 million Americans who are income insecure, that is, that is, they are either poor or low income. And so we know that poverty and inequality are multipliers, right, for the transmission and in some ways for the mortality of everyone, right? And so part of what we have to do is begin to challenge the way in which we have framed poverty in this country. In the last segment, you talked about for 40 years, we have had a discourse or an ideology that has in some ways demonized big government. But for 40 years, we've also had an ideology, Ali, that has demonized poor people. When we go back to Ronald Reagan's uh, 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 presidency, we know that poverty increased by 2.2 million Americans during his first year. We know he attacked uh, welfare. Mm-hmm. We know he attacked food stamps. We have, an, we know very clearly, the rhetoric around poor people—that poor people are poor because they aren't doing what they're supposed to do—and we've seen over the course of these decades a systematic further marginalization of the most vulnerable. So part of what we need, and we saw this, we heard this with Dr. King in 1967, and we hear it with Reverend Barbara and, 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 and the Poor People's Campaign today, is that we need a transvaluation of values. We need to change how we think of the common good. Uh, otherwise, we're going to see disaster capitalism. We're going to see those folks who have already experienced the disaster of American
23: Welcome back to Flyover Politics Podcast
3: with Tony Reed. I seen your picture. Your name in
4: lots of All right, before we get into it, I forgot to go over the other part of yesterday. Uh, the thing that really surprised me, and I, I want to give a shout out to anybody out there that listens and works in these industries, I'm pretty astounded with how good our Kroger looked, uh, we got a thing of toilet paper. It was really expensive. It was $14 because it was the good shit. We don't get Quilted Northern, right? We're we're old. You know, not like we get one ply, but, you know, we don't get the fancy toilet paper. And it was 13 bucks for a 12 roll, big rolls. But we got a toilet paper. Um, I think our son said there was like 24 packages that they got in. And when we got there, there was four after we took our one, but everybody was just taking one, which is pretty cool. People are being adult-like, but everywhere else, meat, I mean, staples, rice, noodles, beans, like dry beans, that was depleted. Eggs were gone, which was kind of scary, don't know why, um, and they weren't sold out. I think something might have been, maybe somebody got the COVID around the egg place, and so they said, get rid of all the eggs. That's my theory. But there was no explanation for no eggs. But everything else was stocked, almost normal. So a shout out to not only people being adults, not hoarding anymore, um, even though some stores are stopping them. In this case, this store wasn't. But to all the hard work people are doing, from warehouses to truck drivers to grocery workers, these are people that we always don't even recognize and don't think about as people that do an important job for us. Sorry, I'm swigging some, we got some um, <clears throat> smoothie making. Get back a little healthy because I saw a video myself and I'm a little bit chubby. I mean, I've always been chubby, but I'm, like, really chubby, so i got, I got to lose some weight. Um, but, you know, we don't look at these people as, wow, look at these hard workers. Because it's just always there. It's always done. But right now, man, they are kicking ass. Because you're basically resetting a new store. And for those that never set up new stores, which I've set up about seven, it's a lot of work, man. It sucks, so... I didn't have the next segment in my show. I, I was going to skip it. I saw the hashtag about Marco Rubio, but I just ignored it. But then I went in and I just went, holy fuck. Yeah. I need to cover this. Greg Price, Journos. How dare Marco Rubio say that some of the media celebrate reporting that the U.S. has become coronavirus, has the most coronavirus cases in the world? See the media. And we're going to cover some of these more in depth. But Julia Ihoff, who's a shit-old country now? Benjamin Witts, we're number one. We're number one. Uh, Dean Obadiah, Trump wanted to make America first. Well, he did. Of the 175 countries that have the coronavirus, the U.S. is number one in terms of cases, thanks to Trump's failed leadership. Chuck Todd, the infamous, does he have blood on his hand that we're going to hear in a bit? Anybody who believes China doesn't have the most still, just shows your TDS and your intellectual dishonesty. Because we're going to close the show on a non-subject today, actually. Something about Hillary Clinton. But we're going to close this coronavirus stuff on China stats. And I just have one stat to tell you to shut the fuck up. But we're talking China, who lies. It's a communist country. Do you actually believe we have more cases... ...than China had or currently has. I would bet both testicles we have less than they have right fucking now. I know that. But our media? Intellectually dishonest, sitting at the house, hate Trump, getting angry. And they're libtards. So they're going to go bonkers over this. So I got this from Raw Story. Twitter hammers subliterate imbecile... Marco Rubio says virus outbreak gives journalists glee and delight. Senator Rubio was called out over the weekend after he claimed that the reporters are expressing glee and delight at the rising number of COVID-19 cases in the United States. Rubio made the remark in a tweet on Sunday. Some in our media can't contain their glee and delight in reporting the U.S. has more corona cases than China, he wrote. Beyond being grotesque, it's bad journalism. And, he, and he's right. But look at the responses... From people stuck at their house, being inconvenienced, probably for the first time in their life. And the hate doth spoo, Shakespeare would write. Instagram, kazoo delight, you see you are making the health crisis a political issue. See, they, they don't see their side doing it. Patricia Arquette, we have no idea how many cases we have. Either as many as are dead or not even being tested. Stop being partisan and help people. Tony Polanski, we have no idea either, asshole. And there is no glee in it. It's to protect Americans are going because you don't take it seriously. As it shows in Florida. Fuck all the way off. Brad Wallach, I'm more concerned that you, on a consistent basis, post grammatically incorrect treats with misspellings and typos. You're a U.S. Senator. I know it's just the state of Florida, but even they deserve more. Do you know if he had a D behind his name, that would be racist as fuck? He's a person of color, Brad Wallach. Michelle Goldberg. Journalists are concentrated in cities that are being ravaged by a plague that could have been better contained with a competent president. You're lonely and scared or importing while homeschooling your kids. No one feels glee or delight. Some of us feel white, hot rage. Let's break it down for a second. You've spent four years building in your head that Donald Trump is Satan and a big crisis will come and he'll kill us all. You then have numerous times in New York City said, fuck what the federal government says. And we started our show on it on purpose today with even city councilmen saying, fuck and go about your life. De Blasio, go about your life. When Trump was saying, We need to shut it down. You have invariably always relied on your local leaders. You say we shouldn't have a national briefing, and we should just be listening to Cuomo, who lied about respirators, or ventilators, excuse me, and now we see won't do lockdowns. Won't enforce social distancing, and why I played the park. So how is it Trump's fault? I mean, I could understand if you go four years not saying he's incompetent, investigating everything, and don't believe a fucking thing he says, and blah, blah blah. You've spent your time undermining him, so nobody will listen to him. But now you expect him to save us in a crisis, really? Yeah, your partisanship showing. Carter Gaddis. you need to stop. This is borderline Soviet crap. You know absolutely nothing about journalism. For you to say this shows either you want to destroy one of the foundational institutes of our democracy or you're simply know-nothing fool. Both could be true. Fuck you. Why do they always say they're the foundation? If they were the foundation, one of our last segments today is about Biden's Me Too. We'd hear that. It's... This lady's been approached by nobody. Nobody's approached her. We know about the Hillary segment we're going to do today. We'd have a media that would actually be doing investigative journalism to find out the big point I'm going to make about China. China today. They don't. They, you're not the foundation. You're fucking hacktivists. Your sole purpose is to get the Democratic Party elected and to push progressive fucking causes. That's what you're there for you vote 99% Democrat want to hear a shaker here folks as a soldier I didn't have any politics I voted but if I was a journalist I wouldn't even vote because I'm not supposed to if I was a political journalist I'm not supposed to have a party I'm supposed to be objective. You guys wouldn't know objective is if it fucking hits you in the ass, Carter Gaddis. God, you're a disgrace. Patricia Arquette again. Explain this to God. There you go. Got the God in. Florida receives two hundred of the two hundred percent of the supplies they asked for. California received one hundred and seventy broken ventilators. Oh, so it's Florida's fault. Benjamin Dreyer, you're a subliterate buffoon. Yeah, that's racist. Marquisa Cabas. Remember, these are all blue checks. These are all journalists. No one is delighted that our numbers are skyrocketing. We're trapped in our fucking homes. Frontline workers are at enormous risk. The numbers are simply proof of your president's malfeasance. Okay. Zara Amin. Truly never feel more shame and embarrassment for being a Floridian than moments I'm reminded Marco Rubio is a senator. Molly Knight. Big time name one. the delight. Every journalist I know is terrified about being laid off. People are dying. You had a chance to remove Trump from office in January and look the other way, even though you know he's corrupt and incompetent. Now look where we are. <laughs> okay. So that's a journalist's answer. You didn't impeach him. That's why we're here. Okay. Jimmy. To the O. You are an imbecile. Nobody is taking glee in except you and the rest of the garbage. Leslie Abervon, stop it. You're alluring yourself to the abyss, in which Trump is waiting on the world to change. This is a self serving presumption. There is no glee, just a duty to inform for the readers. There's anger over politicians who continue to deflect. This is grotesque. That is bad leadership. Our country needs better. You're awful on so many levels, John Marshall says. Daddy Files. You're mad at the media for pouring the number of cases the U.S. compared to other countries? That's the media's job. Oliver Willis. Your president is killing us. That's a journal- journalist. Thor Benson. First of all, no one's gleeful or delightful. Second of all, maybe you should be working instead of tweeting childish shit. Chen Weiha, Even amid such a horrible crisis in the U.S. and Florida, Rubio still chose to smear China because she's a Chinese propagandist. Eli Penovich, literally no journalist is doing this. Florida needs actions, not words. Florida needs masks and respirators. Florida needs ventilators. Florida needs shelter in place, three to four weeks to survive this. Many thousands will die without immediate action. Alyssa Wynne Scott, oh shut up. Michael G, the fact is that even a debate is due exclusively to the failure of the president? And the Republican Party to take COVID-19 seriously. Yeah. Where was that spotlight when we were doing a slush fund for liberal causes in our stimulus? Anybody? Timothy Burke. What glee? What delight? You're full of shit. Ned Pyle. I hope your whataboutism keeps you warm at the funeral of one of your relatives. Yeah. Yeah, now we we got personal. Seriously, go fuck yourself. Journalists are out there putting themselves in harm's way to bring news to the American people. Journalists have lost loved ones and former colleagues. Journalists have lost their jobs through this crisis. You spineless asshole. Yasher Ali. A friend of Jimmy Fallon's, by the way. Ron Waxman. Hey, asshole. And Trump. Chase Mitchell. What actually happening, Marco, is that you're reframing your own embarrassment and shame over your president. Kirk Eichenwald, of the family of every journalist attacked because of Rubio's lies, sues the hell out of him. He is unbelievably reckless and nothing is more disgusting than he feigns Christian values when his soul is so dark, twisted, and spine is so rubbery. Get the Christian in there. Eric Fernandez, Marco's brain is very broken. Who in the media is happy people are sick and dying? Hmm, let's look at that. Caleb Hole, those attacking Marco Rubio and white knighting for journalists are doing an awful good job at pretending tweets like this don't exist. Julie Ihoff, who's the Hell, country now? Chris Hayes, we're quite literally doing a worse job of containing the virus than any country on earth. Jim Acosta, double-dipped. He double-tapped this because he was jerking off so hard. The U.S. passed China, a country four times larger in population, after retweeting his original CNN, the United States now has more coronavirus cases reported than any country in the world. With glee, they say. Greg Price, Journos, how dare Marco Rubio say the same media celebrate reporting the U.S. and most coronavirus cases in the world. Same media, and he does all those and some more. Frank Fleming, there was no reason to jump on the U.S.'s number one in coronavirus case unless you're so partisan it ruins your critical facilities. This article goes, but prove us wrong, Journos. How about a nice big segment on the reporting of Wuhan and the number of urns ordered for cremations? We're going to get to that. Stephen L. Miller, to prove Marco Rubio wrong, all the New York Times, Washington Post, NBC, CNN, have to do this, put this out on blast, and write their own version of it for the web. Ellen Gould, I'll tease one. Wuhan residents estimate based on calculation of cremation and urns now being returned to families. That's between 42K and 46K died in the city. Surrounding areas in the 2.5 months of lockdown. Far more than official figure of 2,500 deaths. 42 to 46K urns. Yeah. But our media just reports whatever China says. I mean, China wouldn't lie. And if they did, we don't care, because Trump. Occupy Democrats takes us to our next hate-filled fucking left. Got nothing better to do but be evil. Posts Facebook memes asking GOP senators to die. Occupy Democrats, a very popular liberal Facebook page with more than 8.6 million followers, posted a screen cap of a tweet on March 26th that wished for the suicide of two Republican senators. The tweet showed a picture of Senator Lizzie Graham and Mitch McConnell with the caption, If old people have to die to save the country, maybe these guys will volunteer. Facebook did not immediately respond to comment. The community guideline says we do not allow hate speech on Facebook because it creates an environment of intimidation and exclusion and in some cases may may promote real-world violence. The post received 23,000 shares and 62,000 likes. Comments from users users include the ghoulish statement, absolutely first in line, all congressional members 65 and older plus the orange one. We could use a good house cleaning for the benefit of the country. Yet, Facebook bragged in November that has removed 11.4 million pieces of hate speech. Hmm. Then we had Tom Coburn die. Ken Dillian. I enjoyed covering former Senator Tom Coburn, and I'm sad to hear of his passing. You didn't have to agree with him to view him as a man of principle who delighted in exposing government waste. He then dug up an old tweet he did. A physician, Coburn opined in 2017 that Trump has a personality disorder. Reckless, outrageous, and undignified behavior has become excused and countenanced as telling it like it is when it's actually just reckless, outrageous, and undignified. Yeah. You got the Julie Ihoff. Who's the shit old country now? asked nasty rhetoric ignored one salient fact. Despite the vast number of cases of coronavirus in the United States, the percentage of mortality is far less than any other country in the world. Katie Pavlich replying to her. If you needed any more evidence that these people hate America, Arthur Schwartz, the left and their media partners are rooting for the virus, waiting for the death-to-America chance. Pete Hegseth. This is precisely how the so-called elite media feel about our country. Josh Hammer, the Chinese Communist Party, thank you for your propaganda. Educating hillbilly. In World War II, Japan had to take a Japanese-American out of the USA to roadcast propaganda. Today, our media does it for China for free. Yeah. In 2018, Ioff was previously fired from Politico after suggesting President Trump was fucking his daughter. Claimed on CNN, the lead with Jay Tapper that President Trump had radicalized so many people that ISIS ever could wish for. Then her tree of life. Then don't wish me Merry Christmas. I'm a Jew. Yeah, she's a, she's a she's a gem. I don't know how you employ somebody like that. But, oh no, we got more. CNN, White House correspondent Kate Bennett, Melania Trump put out a tweet about social distancing. After days of benign tweets, retweets, suggesting ideas or things to do at the home, FLOTUS tweets acknowledgement and thanks to those in the front line battling coronavirus. Fact check, false. Was it just too hard for you to scroll back a couple weeks? Were you just too lazy? Didn't care enough about being truthful? Or were you being deliberately dishonest and malicious since you're CNN? I guess the latter. And that's not true. She had done it. Palmer report. This is a liberal think tank, like a daily wire, but evil. Trump genocide trends as Donald Trump confesses to mass murder of Americans. Yeah, that's a fucking article. Yesterday, Donald Trump went on live national television and confessed to the felony crime of mass murder when he admitted that he's letting people die in Michigan and Washington because he doesn't like their governors. Now Trump's being accused of another crime, genocide, against the American people. Genocide is generally defined as the mass murder of a specific demographic of people. In this instance, it could be argued that Donald Trump is murdering certain Americans based on their political leanings. Whether this meets to the formal definition of genocide or not, the hashtag, Trump Genocide, has begun tweeting, trending on Twitter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then we got even more hate. The Western New York regional director for both SENS, Hillary Clinton and Kristen Gillibrand, has lost her job at the Rosewell Park Cancer Institute after telling Trump supporters on Facebook that if COVID-19 is just a hoax, they should refuse ventilators and just chew some ibuprofen. The Buffalo News report that Lauren Krolczyk, K-R-O-L-C-Z-Y-K, Roswell Park's vice president for external affairs, was fired after investigation into her remarks, while a co-worker, Lisa Latravato, is on leave for her comments. Phil Kirpin. Rosewell Park VP Laura Kazins, former Hillary Clinton Senate staffer, fired over Facebook posts wishing coronavirus death on Trump supporters. The Buffalo News reports. Krasinski replied, "Trump supporters need to pledge to give up their ventilators for someone else and not to go to the hospital." Laura a Low Travato, responded, "I think they should be the only ones that packed churches on Sunday." Krasinski then said, "They should barricade themselves in there and write it out because you got to bash that religion." Laura Travato replied, "Yup." Later, another Facebook user wrote, wow, just wow, so you're saying we decide who lives and dies based on political group views? Great plan. Kaczynski replied, that's literally what he's saying, take your wow and and comprehend that your hero is saying it. Your hero is saying you don't need a ventilator, so don't take one. Also, don't cast your stimulus check. It's all a hoax. Choose some ibuprofen and be on your way. It's print-screened. It's all real. Yeah. It literally started, well, I'll read the, read, watch the Ukraine horse, Michael Caputo. Congratulations, taxpayer. We all pay former Hillary Clinton staffer Laura Kuzin's 226850 annual at Roswell Park as a senior executive spokesperson where she posts publicly on Facebook during the weekdays about ways to, she can assure Trump voters get covid David McKinley the second. here are the Workday public Facebook posts made by Roswell Park, senior executive, Kazin's former Hillary Clinton advisor, on how to assure Trump voters get COVID-19. Do you notice all these people are saying we need to take care of all these people and it's so important, working useless goddamn political jobs, making more than you and I put together? I mean, 226,000 a year. And you can't put a, put your politics aside for a second? Really? So the, it went on this three. Vote Trump. Lauren Crescens. White House balks at a billion dollar price tag for General Motors. Vantec to produce ventilators. This is when they are pushing they're not making it. Then he made him make it. Lisa Travato. But we'll waste more than that on a wall and space force. Crescens. Trump supporters need to pledge to not have a ventilator for someone else and not to go to the hospital I think they should be the ones packed in church they should barricade themselves in there yup and they should chew an ibuprofen it's all there and it's odd just how three days ago Roswell Park had Don Can- Candace was on YouTube directing public not to post inflammatory information on social media good article it was there but they, they didn't follow it just one of many Actress Lori Petty, Republicans are death squad for supporting murderous Trump. Actress Lori Petty declared Saturday morning that Republican lawmakers become a death squad because of their continued support of Trump. The Orange is the New Black star suggests on social media that if Republican lawmakers remove Trump from office. They would become heroes in the eyes of Democratic opponents. President Trump is unfit, unable, and doesn't give a fuck about you or me or your family, she wrote, and the Republicans don't understand if they got rid of him, they'd be heroes to us, not the death squad they have become by supporting this murderer. Should not elaborate on the label for the president. Penny reposted this message with minor variations twice, not realizing one of the Indian syncrasities of Twitter by taking the president's account at the beginning of the post. This kept the tweet from appearing on her timeline directly, which she interpreted as censorship. In a post she has since deleted, Trump is unfit, able, blah, 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 and the Republicans don't, blah, 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 The message was ultimately deleted before apparently realizing the real person for her messages decreased visibility. She shared a clean version that would be more visible. However, the lack of profanity did not affect anything. The difference was she did not take the president at the start. The 56-year-old actress is best known for a role in 1990 film Point Break, A League of Her Own, and Tank Girl. And that hurts. They just fucking hurt. Because I used to like her. So we're building up, as stated. You know, they're in their house, they're just getting angry. They're Christians are bad, because Trump's killing us. Chuck Todd, he's in his basement, and he's washing all this and He's an Uber Prague, so he goes to Meet the Press and lobs this fucking softball bullshit interview to Biden, and he says, "Nancy Pelosi, hold your fucking chardonnay, bitch! I got you, girl. I'll just come out and say the blood's on his hands."
6: You know, your campaign put out your in a critique of, of President Trump and says if he doesn't do these things, you know, he could he could cost lives. Do you think there's already? Do you think there is blood on the president's hands, considering the slow response? Or is that too too harsh of a criticism?
12: I think that's a little too harsh. I think what's happening is the failure to, as I watched uh, a prelim to your show, where someone said that, uh, made, made the phrase, used the phrase that uh, the president just thinks out loud he should stop thinking out loud and start thinking deeply he should start listening to the scientists before he speaks he should listen to the health experts he should listen to his economists he should for example the united states congress passed a significant piece of legislation to help deal with the incredible financial crunch that's going to affect working families and all families the whole economy so we should be right now thinking about how do we get those small business loans out the door because right now you're not banks that's not the strong point of banks focusing on getting small business loans out that's for most of the employees he should be focusing on making sure we're in a situation where we're able to see to it that unemployment benefits can get to people what's the irs doing to get those 1200 checks to people etc that's mm. where the focus should be and it should be laser focus
4: this was the perfect example of how chuck todd has destroyed this show on Sunday, moderator NBC News political director Chuck Todd conducted a sympathetic, sympathetic excuse me, interview with Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden, during which he asked Biden if blood is on the hands of the president. Almost all of Todd's questions were open-ended invitations for Biden to speculate on how he'd have handled the coronavirus pandemic better than the president. After several, several subtle attempts to tee Biden up to take a swing at the president, Todd cut to the chase. You know, your campaign put out a critique of Trump that says it doesn't think these things, you know, he could cost lives. Do you think there's already, do you think there's blood on his hands or is that too harsh a criticism? For what it's worth, Biden appeared uncomfortable. I think it's a little too harsh. Todd completely ignored the new sexual assault allegations, which we won't today. I was waiting for it to become more concrete than just running out there and repeating matt in oregon who got me on the jerky god damn it, i got taken by a fucking sight. ah against buying the broke just days ago Not anyone was actually expecting him to about ask him something like that but it's worth asking if trump were on meet the press just days after accuser came forward would todd have asked him even a single question about anything else no he wouldn't have no i mean for fuck's sake during the campaign, both the Hillary Clinton fucking interviews, he asked her at the very end and he looked at the table and wouldn't look at her. He felt horrible because that was his wife's buddy. Remember, his wife's fucking major Democratic player who's friends with Jennifer Paul-Mary, for fuck's sake. Wind Talker, Chuck Todd, one of America's great buffoons, impressive and not in a good way. Chick Threads, I can't watch Meet the Press anymore. I enjoyed it on Sunday morning, long ago before Chuck Todd ruined it. There was a lot of these. There was thousands, and it made me feel good, because that's me. That was my joint. Chuck Todd, again, demonstrating why media polls lower than the virus itself. Wow, when you're too pathetic to even bait a Democrat. Yeah, that's the thing. He's more partisan than a candidate for president. I mean, what does that mean? When a candidate for president looks at you like, oh, that's 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 a bit far. And Nancy Pelosi, the most pardoning hang on the partisan hang on the fucking planet. She wouldn't even take take it that far, but Chuck Todd did. After schooling him in ethics, Biden later talked Chuck Todd many things about reading, writing, arithmetic, remembering things, oration, journalism, pretending to journalism. Chuck just sat and cocked his head in confusion. It was cute. Fish tank cleaner eating gator fan. That's pretty funny. I'll give Biden credit for not taking the bait, but this won't go over well with Dem voters at all. By tomorrow, he'll be walking it back. We were all shocked Biden didn't go along with the blood on his hands. And you're right. Oh, yeah. What an a-hole. Jody McPhee says, Eastern Tennessee native. My God, I'm so disgusted by the media in this country. Fellow Tennessean, I'm with you, bro, bro. Mom Mary Magnus. Absolutely disgusting question by Chuck Todd. But that's what they do. Stephen Miller, if you're in the White House press corps and complain about how Trump treats you as a partisan opponent, maybe you shouldn't go on this podcast. Fucking Yamichi. The lady who said Kung Flu, she's been carted around like she's a God myth legend. Pod Save America, about the most partisan show. It makes me look like fucking old school media. That's how partisan that podcast is. I've listened to him On the pod tomorrow, Yamichi, the incredible porter, put up with the shit from Donald Trump all the time. Be nice. Don't be threatening. Yeah, that's on there. Some of the anger that we're getting off them as they sit in their bunkers is the fact that people are getting laid off. We'll, We'll get to that soon. But we still have huge articles that CNN and MSNBC bosses ignore staff pleas to cut Trump presser. Trump's daily pandemic briefing have devolved into an open mic night. Misinformation, cable staffers said, but networks are still broadcasting nearly every moment live. This is from the Daily Beast. The nation's television news outlets, especially the three major cable news networks, are grappling with the nagging paradox of Trump continues to orchestrate his White House briefing on the novel coronavirus pandemic. On one hand, the ratings have never been higher, and viewers' appetite for the live sessions have shown no sign of dwindling. Once again, the viewership is like Monday Night Football. On the other hand, journalists and executives of MSDNC and CNN and the often Trump-friendly Fox News was scored an impressive 6.2 million viewers for Sunday's installment of the show, according to Nielsen, are increasingly facing the likelihood that they're becoming an uncritical and unvetted transmission belt for propaganda and misinformation. This angers me so much. I know we've hit it three or four times because these are getting repetitive, but God fucking bless America. When has a press briefing not been up in there? When? They're always spinning. When the fucking oil was spewing in the Gulf, Obamaco was putting a positive message on it. That's what they do. Um, despite in- internal hand-wringing among producers and journalists as a week unfolded, however, the bosses at MSDNC, CNN, and Fox once again decided a Thursday to broadcast every moment of Trump's self-congratulatory and largely fact-free cheering leading live as the United States achieves a dubious milestone of being the world's number one coronavirus affected country, surpassing China's 81,000-plus cases by more than 2,000, with twice the Chinese death rate. Do you believe that, boys and girls? Seriously, all the liberals that listen to me in California, do you believe China had less than us? I mean, I know you hate Trump, but could you ever for a moment just step back and go, yeah, that's not true. That's just not true. These White House sessions, ostensibly meant to give the public critical and truthful information about this frightening crisis, are in fact working against that end, wrote Margaret Sullivan, and we already read it, rather they become on daily stage for Trump to play his greatest hits to captivate audience members. They come in search of life or death information. I'm not going to read anymore. You got it. Trump uh, fucking Maddo started. Joe Scarborough's done it. Uh, This whole article is just a tissue of lies. It has nothing to do with what he says. It's a fact he can talk every day from the bully pulpit, and Biden can't. His poll numbers keep going up. You don't want that in election year. So you guys are butthurt that this basically cut off Biden's campaign. That's why you're mad. Just be honest, it's not fair. But you used to say that was the benefit of Obama, that he could get on there every day in 2012. And Romney couldn't. And then when Romney did get his stuff, we have the infamous ABC coordinating with CBS and NBC to ambush him and tell him to shut his mouth that he shouldn't be saying anything because the president wasn't in the United States. I mean, for fuck's sake, people. We're not stupid. You think we are, and Washington Post does, and we'll get to it in a second. But goddamn. Then we have the sexism that came out of CNN. Joe Lockhart, I, for one, am no longer interested in hearing from Dr. Brinks or vouching for Trump's vast scientific ability for his business background, was a breaking point. Stepford Doc, console cowboy. Stunningly sexist. Good job. Then again, Dr. he goes again, Dr. Burke has drunk the Kool-Aid. Maggie Haberman, an astute Trump advisor, once described the president as turning people so they start to adopt his view and binary Trump sees as him versus media. Some fear Dr. Deborah Brinks is the latest example. So even Maggie Haberman attacked a woman. That would be sexist if it was the Obama administration. It would just be a sexist. Anna James Ziegler, people like Dr. Brinks, they trust her. People don't like the media. They don't trust them. Media can't deal. He's right. Jay Rosen, he went even further. I think about her colleagues at Walter Reed or family or teachers at Penn State and Houghton College. What must they think, what must they be thinking as they watch this hostage tape and hear her describe him as a master of scientific literature and a wizard with data. They just couldn't deal. And then we go to WAPO. For a fact checker, Washington Post Glenn Kessler can't be a reckless tweeter. Or can be a reckless tweeter. I'm just fucking up today. Let's try it again. For a fact checker, Washington Post Glenn Kessler can be a reckless tweeter. Washington Post fact checker Glenn Kessler tweets much less than he retweets on Twitter. He retweets a lot of liberal media themes. Sometimes his tweets are mangled, mangling the facts. Sister Soldier at Red State noticed on Wednesday that Kessler pulled a shift the other day. He passed off a nasty parody of Trump as the real thing. Hey, Keep going to restaurants, go buy new houses, ignore the pile of bodies over in the corner. Why Trump's impatient to restart the economy could be disastrous. disastrous. And it was the Juan report, Reed Albogati and Joe Abernock. Thankfully, this isn't a real Trump quote. It was a sassy take from a leftist bajillionaire, Bill Gates, who was the original in his in this game. Kessler knew it was Gates' quotes, since it was right there in Post's story he was promoting. While not mentioning the president by name, Bill Gates, who co-founded Microsoft and now leads the Global Health Foundation, rebuked Trump's approach in a Tuesday interview with Ted. There really, really is no middle ground. It's very tough to say to people, hey, keep going to restaurants, go buy new houses, ignore the pile of bodies over in the corner. We want you to keep spreading because there may be a politician who thinks GDP growth is all that counts. It's a little funny that this slam on Trump comes from the post-boast. The Washington Post is providing this story for free so that all readers have access to important information about the coronavirus. It's so important to get all the nasty parodies for free. Yeah, Uh, that makes sense. Just like the Christian one was free. I'm over my monthly freebies on New York Times, but they let me get that article. They didn't block me, and I wasn't even on VPN. Kessler was at it again on Friday night, tweeting, forwarding a truncated Trump quote from J.M. Rieger, a video editor of his liberal paper. Glenn Kessler, Glenn Kessler, this is not how it's supposed to work, Jim Rieger, reporter. What specifically do you want the governors to do, Trump? All I want them to do, very simple. I want them to be appreciative. I don't want them to say things that aren't true. You know what I say? If they don't treat you right, I don't call. Like a good Democrat, Rieger left a lot of the quote out, but included the video so you could see how sloppy he was. Here's the full quote that we've seen in unison during this podcast. I want them to be appreciative. I don't want them to say things that aren't true. I want them to be appreciative. We've done a great job, and I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about Mike Pence, the task force. I'm talking about FEMA, the Army Corps of Engineers. There's no country that could have done what the Army Corps of Engineers has done and is doing. As for not calling governors a hot spot for liberal invective, Trump sounds like he's joking around. Mike Pence, I don't think he sleeps anymore. These are... These are people that should be appreciated. He calls the governor. I tell him, I mean, I'm a different type of person. I say, Mike, don't call the governor, Inslee, Washington. You're wasting your time with him. Don't call the woman, Gretchen Wimner, in Michigan. Doesn't make any difference what happens. When ABC's John Carl starts taking exception, Trump says, you know what I say? If they don't treat you right, I don't call. He's a different type of person. He calls quietly anyway, okay? Let's guess that if Republican governors were slamming President Obama during a pandemic, the same reporters would be asking the President how he can stand working with these people when they're so political in a crisis. And that's so true. But he forgets every joke and they, and they think they can report this stuff because you didn't watch the presser so you don't know it was a joke. And they run it as fact. And they misquote it. Or they truncate the, pro- it's the parsing. That's what they do. So what does the Washington Post do? Well, it's just like Glenn Kessler. Washington Post worries Americans too dumb to get social distancing. I don't know where I live they're doing it. Maybe you should talk to your people, because all you care about is liberals, and they damn sure ain't doing it. Most people never heard the term social distancing until a few weeks ago. Perhaps some were initially confused by it. It kind of sounds like something Don Lemon and his guests do when they run into Trump voters. A more exact term would be physical distancing, yet somehow America figured out what social distancing meant. Figured out pretty quickly, too, because they understand germ theory. Even the Trump voters. So, of course, the Washington Post found an academic who thinks it should change. Writer Rebecca Gale says in a March 26 article that Daniel Aldrich, a professor of political science and public policy at Northwestern University, is concerned that the term is misleading and that its widespread usage, usage could be counterproductive. So what's wrong with social distancing, Aldrich says? He thinks the semantics are misleading. Some people think the term social distancing literally sounds like, if I had friendship before, it's time to hunker down, or if I were a member of a church or synagogue, it's to try to pray by myself, he said. But COVID-19 order is going to be around for a while, and we need to feel connected. In other words, Aldrich thinks you're an idiot, unable to process language, That it's strict, literal. Okay. Then they went after homeschooling. On Saturday, the Post going after homeschooling, proclaiming that the necessity of educating from home during COVID-19 will set back a generation. Washington Post worried that homeschooling during COVID-19 lockdown will set back a generation of children. I didn't cover it, because it's the same old, same old, and I was going to put it in our college section, it's because, now you can train your kids, and you won't have the 95 fucking pronouns, and you won't do all the stupid fucking shit, like, white people are all evil, the founding fathers are all racist, and that's what they're upset about, so they keep going. Washington Post, the coronavirus recession is exposing how the economy was not strong as it seemed. Yeah. Next one, analysis. After years as partisan brawler, Schumer takes a leading role to help a hurting nation. Oh, really? Schumer. Carol Roth. She sums up the first one perfectly. I dropped my phone on a 20-story window, and it smashed to pieces and stopped working, exposing that it really wasn't as strong of a phone as I previously thought. They just wanted to say, hey, Trump's economy really wasn't that great. But they forget that we remember that the Washington Post said it wasn't Trump's economy. It was Obama's. Sorry, Paul is killing me. How had to get something on my throat. Caleb Hull, this was written by the same person who thinks stock trading is easy because all you have to do is buy low and sell high. Kurt Schistler, what a stupid tweet. It's a shame that Trump and his administration could not have foresaw seen a global pandemic with unprecedented ramifications. Larry O'Connor, I'm sorry. What economy anywhere at any time would not grind to a halt when customers, employees, businesses, Everyone was not ordered under penalty of law by the government to literally stay home. Frank Fleming. The Washington Post seems like it's going 100% for hate clicks through complete troll takes. Steve Malloy. Another deranged thought caused by TDS. We turned off most of our economy, yet it's still feeding and housing the nation. When we turn the economy back on, it's going to roar back to life. I don't believe that, but a lot of people do. Kathleen Parker at the fo- at the the post. She has already written a couple. Well, this week, let Cuomo speak for America, not Trump. Unfortunately for Parker, attempt to boost Cuomo's backfired on her in the most embarrassing way just a short time later. But before we get to her self-inflicted pie in the face, let's take a brief look at the praise she heaped upon Cuomo, Cuomo, which contrasted sharply with the betrayal of the president. On one screen Monday, President Trump spoke at length about himself. More than once, he wandered off script at one point talking about how many billions of dollars he could have made had he not been president. But he added he was glad he had because he's now a wartime president. How are people supposed to feel when they hear this? To each his own. But I fear a selfish child is in control of our fates. Got it. Orange man bad who doesn't hold a candle to the person Parker holds out as the sum of almost all virtue. Another screen. Cuomo updated New Yorkers a nation about his virus in the state. Unlike Trump's self-indulgent soliloquies... Cuomo's statements were straightforward, honest, factual, and despite the dire statistics, refreshingly reassuring. He understands that adults can absorb information and respond appropriately. No doubt, many are wishing Cuomo were president right now, as suggested by the hashtag Cuomo for president. Yeah, the left thinks that. The governor in charge demeanor and straight talk reminds us of what a leader looks like and acts like. I'll spare the readers the possibility of tooth decay from all the saccharin. Parker pours in the form of praise for Cuomo, but there's one observation she made which laughably boomeranged on her big time. Cuomo came down hard on federal government for stockpiling 20,000 ventilators desperately needed in New York. He suggests that the feds deploy the ventilators according to need, then rotate them out the next day as the apexes reach, and so on. How can we be in a situation where you can have a New Yorker possibly dying because, because they can't get a ventilator, but a federal agency saying, I'm going to have to leave the ventilators in the stockpile. I mean, have we really come to that point? Who could that be that heartless and be that, and be that would stockpile ventilators in the midst of a current crisis? Well, just a few days later, Brett Hume revealed his identity in a tweet. Cuomo says the ventilator in New York have not been distributed because the hospitals don't need them yet. He expects <clears throat> they will be needed when the New York outbreak reaches its apex. We have ventilators in a stockpile, and we didn't send them to the hospital yet. Of course we didn't. That's the whole point. Oops. Did you do a retraction? Fuck to the no. CNN is our next target. The U.S. government was warned 10 times in 13 year span about a lack of ventilators in the event of the outbreak. I'm not going to read the article, but you can guess nowhere in it does it say anything about Biden and Obama. <clears throat> this week, CNN reported that the coronavirus outbreak is also impacting Journal's jobs, and we're going to read it in a second. CNN's Brian Seltzer Seltzer did his part to help prove the importance of journalism when the public needs them the most. This is what he posted. Remember, this is the ombudsman, ombudsman, I can never say that fucking word, for CNN, supposed to be the media watchdog. Obama's former photog, Pete Souza, posted Obama plus Cuomo Graham, captioned, a former president with the current acting president. And this was all over Twitter. Greg Polowitz. What's funny about this is that it totally ignores the actual Dem nominee. CNN is already giving up on Biden. And isn't that the fact? But they were pushing that all week. Last podcast, it was Obama they're pushing. Now they're pushing Cuomo for president. Yeah. Yeah. So to that article that well, let's play the soundbite. This came with the article hundreds of journalists are being laid off right when the public needs them the most let me take you
21: behind the scenes now. Uh Many newsrooms across the country look like this one right now. This is CNN's New York bureau. Most CNN staffers are working from home, uh, and that is true in newsrooms across the country uh, and in actually many places around the world. Staffers who can uh, work remotely are working remotely at newspapers and websites and television networks. Of course, there are certain jobs, like television anchoring or control room directing, that do require people to be in person, but others are being urged to stay home. In fact, some entire newspapers are being published remotely at this point. that includes the papers in Seattle and in San Francisco. The Seattle Times, San Francisco Chronicle have both adapted uh, to try to stay ahead of what is happening. Ultimately, these are local stories happening. These these outbreaks are local stories. And you can see there the Seattle and San Francisco front pages today telling the story. Silence in Seattle. Let's talk about this now with the editors of those two newspapers. Uh, Seattle Times executive editor Michelle Flores is with me. And San Francisco Chronicle editor-in-chief Audrey Cooper is with me as well. Michelle, it seems like, uh, unfortunately, Washington State's been ahead of the rest of the country on this story. What have you all done at the Seattle Times? What's changed there?
7: Uh, It's pretty much everything. (laughs) It's hard to think of things that haven't changed. You know, two weeks ago, nearly two weeks ago, uh, we began uh, working remotely, pushing people out of the office, which is kind of a hard thing to do with journalists. Um, and I would say, as of about a week ago, we've been entirely remote. Um, we're really focused on the job at hand, even though we're sleep-deprived, and it's, I think, still a little nerve-wracking for all of us, just like for the public. Every time one of us coughs, I think we get a little nervous. Um, mm. But we're holding in there, and we're more aware than ever of the importance of local journalism. We've heard from our readers. Our, our readership is way up, and the, the notes of, of um, gratification we're getting from people are really fueling us right now. It's been mm. quite, quite a thing.
21: It's good to hear. Audrey, same for you in San Francisco. How are you all getting the paper out when everybody's working
19: from home? It's amazing what technology has uh, enabled us to do just over the last couple of years. I mean, we've taken a lot of directions, actually, from Michelle's newsroom. um, I, I think it's really important because there's two things that journalists do. The first is... We try to protect the community by getting information out there, but we're also talking to a lot of people every day. And even if we're healthy, we don't want to endanger our community. And it's amazing that through video conferencing and Slack and being able to remote dial in, we're able to put it out for the last couple of days and we'll probably be doing it for the foreseeable future. Yeah, this is the new normal.
21: Uh, What what happens to all the reporters who are covering beats that no longer have any action. You know, what happens to sports reporters, for example, who don't have any sporting events to cover?
7: Well, you we San are, Francisco uh, Giants... Sorry, said, uh, but-
21: let me get you both. Michelle, first
7: to you. Sure. We are reassigning... a uh, about almost half of our sports writers right now um, to the to the news staff but we still have a lot of um, coverage to do in sports uh, as you can imagine there are a lot of questions about how this is going to all these shutdowns are going to affect the economy and people's mindsets and you know how are people coping in the meantime what are the contingency plans when when will things start up again so we, we have some of our reporters still focused on that on the sports beats
21: Yeah. Look, everybody is a coronavirus reporter now. That's the bottom line. Um, Audrey, you know, arts reporters, sports reporters covering this virus is incredibly resource intensive. So you need all that help, right?
19: Yeah, we're we're taking uh, pretty soon arts critics and they're going to go on the live blog. I mean, it's really all hands on deck because the story is changing so rapidly. We're up you know in the early hours of the morning and not stopping until well past midnight midnight because people really want to know every single thing that's changing in their community they want to know how they're going to homeschool their children and work from home they want to know where the testing centers are i mean this is very much a local story and it has been ever since the very beginning days Uh,
21: what about uh, the business impacts when there are fewer advertisers because why would you advertise for a company that's closed? What are the business impacts going to be, Michelle? Because the other paper in Seattle, the Alt Weekly, the stranger, just laid off 18 people temporarily. In Portland, Oregon, the Alt Weekly had to lay off the staff temporarily and go online only. Is that something that might have to happen at, at the Seattle Times and other papers as well?
7: We're certainly certainly not looking at any consequences that dire, I think, for those papers. They depend um, so heavily on events and uh, entertainment ticket. Uh, revenue and sales, so I think they're especially pinched. We are, of course, seeing an impact on our advertising. Uh, Our subscriptions, though, are setting records. Even though we're making our coronavirus coverage free, um, we are seeing people subscribe um, at record levels, and our readership is through the roof. So for us, it's a little more of a balance. Yes, this is a challenge for a very challenged industry, but at the same time, this is proving um, the worth of of local journalism, journalism in general, Mm -hmm. but I would say especially local journalism, more than anything I can remember in a 35-year career.
21: Wow. And, Audrey, finally to you, what should journalists keep in mind while covering this in the weeks to come?
19: Well, I think the most important thing is that we report what we can confirm. There are so many rumors going on on Twitter, on Facebook, and if anything, this is the perfect storm of what we've been talking about for the last couple of years. Relying on reputable media and having the journalists making sure that they know exactly what the truth is and they report that. Has never been more critical, and it's never been more critical for people to support their local journalists and make sure that we all get through this with as minimal problems as possible.
21: Yeah, we need to tell people what we know and then also tell them what we don't know and experience sure. the known unknowns together. Uh, Michelle Audrey, thank you very much. Uh, we will keep an eye on both your papers. Uh, and the message from both of them is so crucial. Subscribe, sign up, pay for
4: your local newspaper at this moment. Once again, they're, they're such jag-offs. It's like they're the firefighters. No, you're not. We don't need you right now. What the fuck are you reporting on? Seriously. All we need is local shit, and that's being handled just fine by the local affiliates in your cities who just report facts, not bias. So with that soundbite, was this article, um... 2020 was supposed to be a banner year for digital media. BuzzFeed, Group 9, and Vice each indicated that this year would be profitable, a long, elusive goal for industry bedeviled by diminishing ad dollars. But no one could have predicted that a global health crisis would hit just as businesses was picking up. BuzzFeed CEO John Peralti told staffers in a memo this week that the company has been knocked off track because of coronavirus. Though we're well on track to be profitable this year, the impact of corona on the global economy will almost certainly cause the company to lose money, even as we take progressive action. Aggressive, excuse me, action to control costs. That was a Freudian slip because BuzzFeed could be no more progressive. BuzzFeed has instituted pay cuts and scaled back on travel. According to Memo, which was obtained by CNN Business, Peralty will take salary for the will not take a salary for the rest of the year and rather lose money than lose colleagues. Jane Levinskio, senior reporter at BuzzFeed News, tweeted a record-shattering 3.3 million Americans filed for unemployment last week after residents in many parts of the country were ordered to stay home and practice social distancing. Events were canceled, bars, blah. Many industries are reeling for the ramification of the coronavirus pandemic, and the already fragile media industry is now under a serious threat. CNN Business reported on Sunday that at least 100 people in local news. Newsrooms in the U.S. lost their job in March, but Friday that number shot up to at least 300 people. Traffic boom, blah, 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 layoffs. While there will obviously be impact this point, it's to really understand those implications. There are already some immediate cost savings that we'll see from suspensions and blah, blah. freelance left in the lurch, local paper furloughing, what the future holds. Rick Edmond, media business analyst at Pointer, told CNN Business that he's seeing more newsrooms furlough employees rather than lay them off. Okay, good. To ensure that journalists can continue to do this vital work, our government's announcing new measures to support them. Could federal or state support come to the aid of U.S. newspapers? Not likely, said Kaplan, associate dean for professor graduate studies and professor of magazine newspapers and digital journalism at Syracuse. I definitely don't see the federal government being involved. They are involved to the extent that they contribute to PBS and NPR. Both NPR and PBS are public broadcasters funded by the government. But Kaplan said U.S. media could get a subscription boost from individuals looking for reliable coronavirus news and business running more ads when they reopen. We're in an inevitable crisis that no one ever seen anyone who's alive, lifetime, and guess what's their lifeline like. It's the local news media because it's the only way they keep informed. We need you! No, we don't, Brian Seltzer, because articles like this. Seltzer alone is keeping Fox News at the top of the media ratings. Seriously, the editor, 80-year-old father-in-law, probably doesn't watch as much Fox News as old Tater does. This morning, Bry is upset with Fox News because they keep showing New York City Health Commissioner telling you New Yorkers the city was safe way back in February. Right after Trump barred travel from China because that was racist. She wasn't the only moron pushing that silly narrative. But you think a health commissioner of all people would be erred on the side of caution? Brian Seltzer. Fox shows are bashing New York City health commissioner for saying in early February that the city was safe. The first COVID cases reported on March 1st. They're blasting local officials without acknowledging Trump's more egregious failures. Oh, really? Fox changing the subject. Tucker Carlson, blah, blah, blah. It's his little thing. I don't know. How dare they hold her responsible? Forget that the city is a damn epicenter of the virus now. Neon Taser, stop not attacking Drumpf. Victor Confidential Human Source is his handle. It's a bloody war, but things are under control. Daily Calm and Collective Briefings keep people informed, adjusting strategies and needing. MSM, only one's freaking out. And miracles do happen and are needed. Why not interview the 102-year-old lady in Italy that beat the virus? My hope is that after this is said and done, people stop listening to you and realize the BS-spewing trash heap you really are. They don't want to put out positive. If you put out positive, you can't bash Trump. We can't have that. we got to bash Trump. And then somebody put out this incredible chiron just from CNN. CNN Facebook Global Town Hall. Actor and activist Sean Penn on how the military can help with coronavirus response. Sean Penn. Military. Next one. Reliable sources. Despite Trump's claim, there is no evidence that Bloomberg is trying to get a box to stand on for demo debates. Another one. About those tweets. White nationalists who once backed Trump... Calls Trump's racist tweet red meat. A guy nobody knows. 188 number of Trump misspelled errors on Twitter since taking office. Trump's avalanche of absurd Twitter typos. That's the articles he does. Yeah. People responding, de Blasio deserves scathing criticism. He failed to close schools early enough, and he continued to encourage people to gather in public well into March. Brian Seltzer's response to this guy. He actually responded. As I wrote, as a New Yorker, I have my fair questions about the local and state response effort. But he's not going to ask those questions. Ukraine. So questions about local and state efforts, criticism about federal noise. Seltzer. Trump didn't act well enough. He should have listened to the experts. Experts. This is pretty fucking damning. Um, I'm going to play it now instead of later. World Health Organization. Preliminary investigations conducted by the Chinese authorities have found no clear evidence of human-to-human transmission of the novel coronavirus identified in Wuhan. And then this broke over the weekend.
0: Would the WHO consider Taiwan's membership? What? Hello. We, would the, would the, so
14: ta- that, I couldn't hear your question. Okay, well, yeah.
0: Let me let, let me let me repeat the question. No, that, so.
14: Okay, let, let's move to another one then.
0: Right, because because I'm I'm actually curious on talking about Taiwan as well, on Taiwan's case.
10: We decided to give Dr. Alward another call to follow up.
9: And
0: I just want to see if you can comment a bit on how Taiwan has done so far in terms of containing the virus.
15: Well, we've already talked about China, and, um, you know, when you look across all the different areas of, uh, of China, they've actually all done quite a good job. So with that, I'd like to thank you very much for inviting us to participate, and, uh, and good luck as you go forward with the battle in Hong Kong.
4: Yeah, that's some pretty fucked up shit right there, folks. The WHO has been carrying Chinese water from day one. They won't report all the fucking bullshit we're about to report in the propaganda section. They won't even recognize Taiwan. And they put out no human to human. But, yeah, the experts. And he's not going to report any of that. We're not reporting any of that. We're not even going to report the podcast before where the WHO head said Trump's the leadership we're looking for. Mm -mm. Those experts seem to think he's doing all right. While we're laying people off and we just give $500 million to them, PBS devotes hour to bashing NRA, plugs Democrats for 2020. Not going to play it, but do you expect anything different? I don't. So during the weekend and the end of last week, we had some serious meltdowns going on the left. So I'm going to play them all together. First, you're going to have the New Orleans mayor say it's Trump, Trump's fault that Mardi Gras wasn't canceled. I uh, want you to remember, if Trump would have shut down Mardi Gras, we would then have heard on MSDNC or CNN, I don't remember which one this is on. Let me see if I can see by the chyron. Um, it was CNN. Um, we'd be hearing, he shuts down Mardi Gras because he's a racist. Then we had a representative named Stevens and AOC lose their fucking shit on the House floor. None of this was reported by Barbara. As the reports are that within a week or two after Mardi Gras, all of a sudden the cases start started emerging in Louisiana. Yes. Obviously, that's very disturbing. I will point out, uh, we did some checking back on February 12th, the CDC, Dr. Nancy Messier, uh, said, uh, and, and I'm quoting her now, we can and should be prepared for this new virus to gain a foothold in the United States. But, but you're saying no one from the federal government came to you and urged you to, uh, to pr- at least cancel or, pr- or, or postpone Mardi Gras.
21: That's absolutely correct. And not only that, it was backed up with the response uh, of our national leader. Uh, when it's not taken seriously at the federal level, it's very difficult uh, to transcend down to the local level in making these decisions. But when the experts uh, told me, uh, that social gatherings would be an issue. I move forward with canceling them, as well as St. Patrick's Day uh, parade, as well as our uh, Super Sunday where our Mardi Gras Indians parade, the suits that they've made, you know, all year long. Uh, so this is something uh, that not only concerns us, but it sets the tone for how leadership matters at every level of government in the United States of America where mayors
10: are on the
14: front line.
4: Yeah, you certainly are. We're grateful to you. Mayor, your state's governor, John Bell Edwards, just announced that... Right, I yield back. The gentleman yields back. The gentleman from Texas Reserves, the gentleman from Maryland is recognized. Mr. Speaker, I now have the privilege of yielding to the gentlelady from
6: Queens, uh, one of the epicenters of this challenge to our country. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. One gentleman one from New York is recognized one for one minute. Thank
23: you, Mr. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker, and, and thank you to our um, majority leader. I represent one of the hardest-hit communities in the hardest-hit city in this country, Queens, New York, 13 dead. In a night, in Elmhurst Hospital alone, our community's reality is this country's future if we don't do anything. Hospital workers do not have protective equipment. We don't have the necessary ventilators. But we have to go into this vote eyes wide open. What did the Senate majority fight for? One of the largest corporate bailouts with as few strings as possible in American history. Shameful. The greed. Of That fight is wrong for crumbs, for our families. And the option that we have is to either let them suffer with nothing or to allow this greed and billions of dollars, which will be leveraged into trillions of dollars, to contribute to the largest income inequality gap in our future. There should be shame about what was fought for in this bill and the choices that we have to make.
10: Gentlemen, ladies, times expired. And I yield. Gentlemen from Maryland Reserve, gentlemen from Texas is recognized.
16: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I'm proud to yield
14: one minute to the gentleman from Virginia, Mr. Riggleman. Gentlemen from Virginia is recognized for one
23: I, re- I request 30 more seconds and because I rise before you adorning me. The gentleman from Maryland is, for, is recognized. Not for personal attention. Not for I, personal attention, but to encourage I, the, you to take gentlemen, this. The
10: I'm going to give, give you more time.
23: The
10: gentlelady will suspend. The gentleman from Maryland is recognized.
4: The, the gentlelady is out of order. I yield the the gentlelady 30 additional seconds. The gentlewoman is recognized for an additional 30 seconds.
23: cause of the servitude, 30. sharing in the profession with those who have not come before you. Similar times of trying medical need, wars and flus pass. You will see darkness, you will be pushed, and our society needs you to stand together at this time. Our country loves you. To our doctors and our nurses, I wear these ladies.
10: The has expired. The gentleman is from Maryland American. is
4: recognized. The gentleman from Texas that- is recognized. The gentleman from Texas is now recognized. It's like Katrina all over again. Gonna blame the federal government cuz it's a Republican and to deflect off what you fucked up. What is the federal government? Experts were, talking about Experts were talking about that back then, you fucking loon. And the AOC, I'm not even covering those two idiots. There are so many memes being taken down by Twitter of AOC acting like a petulant five-year-old. And they have her with a pussy hat wearing uh, hand-signed person. They have her conducting a band. It is just, mm, it looks like a five-year-old throwing a fit. That's exactly what it looks like. It's fucking embarrassing. Just embarrassing. Then Michigan governor accuses Trump of withholding supplies, but then provides no fucking proof. Won't name anything. It's just like the Kung flu. Uh, Sean Hannity on Thursday night stating it's not... It's not been pleasant working with Whitmer. She's a new governor. It's not been pleasant. We've had a big problem with... Okay, who is he talking to? Um, let me do this right. Uh, I'm not stepping up in response. Whitmer's on... Uh, in an interview with local radio station, WWWJ, Whitmer stated she believes the president has had a hand in blocking supplies from the state of Michigan. Whitmer began, what I've gotten back is that vendors with whom we've procured contracts, they're being told not to send stuff to Michigan. It's really concerning. I reached out to the White House last night and asked for a phone call with the president. Ironically, at the time, this stuff was going on. Before Whitmer's remark Friday morning, Trump ripped the governor in an interview with Sean Handy on Thursday night, stating it's not been pleasant working with Whitmer. She's a new governor. It's not been pleasant. We've had a big problem with the young... A woman governor, you know, who I'm talking about from Michigan. We don't like to see the complaints. She doesn't get it done, and we send her a lot. Now she wants a declaration of emergency, and, you know, we'll have to make a decision on that. But Michigan is a very important state. I love the people of Michigan. The governor responded to the attacks from Trump, saying that she never attacked the president, but rather criticized the response from the federal government. I don't go into personal attacks. I don't have time for that. I don't have energy for that, frankly. All our focus on COVID and me deflecting onto Trump because I have no proof of any of this shit. But this is the time of baseless accusations. You can just get away with it. So, Pelosi, which I won't play again, these are some of the response. So we're at the Trump is murderer phase of Democrat derangement. Okay. She needs to do her best to get the negative attention focused back on Trump. She doesn't really care about helping Americans through this. She proved that when she played games with her relief last week. Pretty rich that the person who held up funding and injected partisan demands wants to accuse a president of fiddling. why? people are dying don't you want to get back to impeachment pelosi or perhaps plot how you can get all those progressive promise in the next bill does take every precaution including playing games advance your non-emergency political agenda what did nancy know and when did she know why she fiddled around with the stimulus bill you think that's what they would say to her but of course it's jake tapper what the fuck I think Trump should ask AG Barr to investigate the in, inept Dem response. Yet she wasted a week to get funding from the Kennedy Center. She's a fucking Looney Tune. Nancy fiddled with impeachment with a virus lurked. Jake Tapper didn't bother to ask Nancy about that. And then somebody did this. Two five, Schumer states the Trump channel ban uh, travel ban is racist. two one Joe Biden says China travel ban is fear mongering and hysterical xenophobia. one hundred thirty one White House enacts first mandatory quarantine in fifty years. one hundred thirty one White House suspends travel US for non citizens to China. one hundred thirty White House forms coronavirus task force one hundred twenty eight C D C advise against travel to China. CDC expands screening to twenty airports. One hundred twenty three China suspends travel into and out of Wuhan. one hundred seventeen CDC begins screening travelers from Wuhan at major airports. one hundred twelve China shares genetic sequence of COVID nineteen. one hundred eleven China informs WHO a Novell virus and Wuhan province and that shit broke out in November. So, who fiddled? Everybody retweeted her. The Trump admin expansion of the un American travel ban is a threat to our security, our values, and rule law, barring more than 350 million people from predominantly African countries from traveling the U.S. This rule is discriminatory, disguised as policy. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Andy Slavitt is the next liberal dude, and once again, this kind of prompted the video your hospital. The former acting administrator of the Center for Medical and Medicaid Services during the final two years of Obama has been no stranger yelling fire in a crowded theater when it comes to attempting to spread panic about the coronavirus outbreak, but he finally outdone himself. Don't label me. Andy Slavitt deleted his tweets because, well, he knew it wasn't true. This was his tweet, and there's about th- probably a 1,000 people doing this on the left. Now, a major hospital in the Midwest has reached its limit on ventilators minutes ago. They're handling out forms saying that only those with the best chance of survival will get care. <clears throat> Others will be getting pain medications. When he got called on it, it's not true. None of it's true. Henry Ford Health Citizen system that he talked to said, we have everybody sign that for if shit goes to hell. With the pandemic, we must be prepared for worst case. With collective wisdom from our industry, we crafted a policy to provide guidance for making difficult patient care decisions. We hope never to have to apply them. We will always utilize every resource to care for our patients. And it's another one of those policies handed out. To the staff, the staff, for political reasons, gets it out. So finally, this douche nozzle goes, I removed tweet because it inflamed a left-right controversy about how bad crisis is becoming in major hospitals running low or out of capacity. While I want to be informed of the best knowledge I have, I won't do that at the expense of Discord. Chuck Ross, you remove the tweet because you're full of shit, not because of some peacemaking. Yeah. Another Democrat on Twitter. Social distances, distancing applies to hookups and sex, so explore other ways to satisfy, satisfy your needs. Phone sex, cam sex, reading erotica, watching porn, or just plain old masturbation. Is that the fiddling we're talking about? I'm just asking. Because I, I, I'm just asking. So... There's our COVID. We're going to play a song just to have some music. And then we're going to come and close this pig out with Biden's Me Too, some propaganda, and Hillary. I know we're long, but it won't take that long to cover that. Enjoy. (laughs)
24: bubble one podcast at a time here's tony
3: reed come fly with me let's fly let's fly away if you can use some exotic booze there's a bar in far bombay come on and fly with me let's fly let's fly away
8: and he had me um against the wall and then his hands were down my skirt and up my skirt. And I was wearing, um, I wasn't wearing face or anything. And um, he then, with his hand, uh, you know, um, went from there and uh, entered me with his hand and as he was trying to kiss me and saying things to me. So when I tell you what happened, it's hard because everything's kind of happened at once, but there were incremental parts. -hmm. And, um, meaning he was trying to kiss me and I was pulling away. And what I remember of that time is is feeling really shocked, a surprise, because there was no real conversation right beforehand. There was no precursor, it just happened. And then when he did that, um, I was obviously pulling away. And he pulled back and said, you know, come on, man, I heard you liked me. Um, something to that effect, and that's what kind of jolted me. Like I was trying to think what I did wrong um, to bring that on me, and then he um, he looked angry and irritated with me, and I that's when I knew it was really I I was in a very difficult position because. He was my boss, and he was like my dad's age at the time, and I trusted him and looked up to him. And I, it was, it was, it was not like I disliked him. I liked him, but I just didn't like him in that way. And I, it was just shocking. It was shattering, actually. And he said to me when he pulled back, he pointed his finger at me, and he said, "You're nothing to me." You're nothing. Mm. Mm. Um, And he straightened his
4: clothes and he, he went away. That is the victim who says she was assaulted by Joe Biden. As stated, well, let's just read the article. The hashtag Believe All Women crowd is far is in for a rough few days is there's a Me Too allegation against Joe Biden that's way more credible than Kristen Blasey Ford's. Robbie Sove, her name is Tara Reed. As stated, <clears throat> no major network has approached her. Robbie Sove, if you thought, Blasey Ford-Kavanaugh accusation was disqualifying. I'll have a hard time understanding your silence regarding Tara Reid, more troubling and more recent charge against Joe Biden. According to Reid, Biden sexually assaulted her while she was a staffer in the Senate office. Ford says Kavanaugh threw himself on top of her while they were teenagers. Reid says Biden sexually assaulted her while she was a staffer in a Senate office. The mainstream media blackout of the latter is baffling. And where's The media. The Washington Post reported Ford's accusations before she even came forward and allowed herself to be named. Tara Reid has come forward. She has named herself. No Post article. You can't say the timing is suspicious. You can say she waited too long. You can say her public story changed. You can say she has political reasons. You'd be right in all counts. None of these things matter to liberals last time around. Nando. Will any mainstream journalist ask Joe Biden about Tara Reid's very credible sexual assault claim? Natalie, sure. I get that plenty of liberals prefer Biden to Bernie, but the silence about Tara Reid's rape accusation against Biden is still pretty mind boggling. Has any mainstream liberal so much as commented on it? Robbie Starbucks. So, Alyssa Milano, do you believe Tara Reid, who accused Joe Biden of penetrating her against a wall, against her will? She worked for Joe in the Senate office. Will you still endorse and campaign for Joe? Her tweety he retweeted. You can't pretend to be the party of American people and then not support a woman who comes forward. Hashtag me too. Hashtag Tuesday thoughts. The intercept. <clears throat> Tara Reed learned that Time's Up could provide her no assistance against Biden was a candidate for federal office in assisting a case against him. Time's Up said could jeopardize the organization's non-profit status. It would not fund the Me Too allegation against Joe Biden and signing its nonprofit status. Time's Up declined to support a woman with allegations Joe Biden signing its tax-exempt status. What the fuck does that have to do with anything? Katie Halper, this is a story that Reed Alexandra has been telling since it happened in 93. It's a story about sexual assault, retaliation, and silencing. Tara had already come forward about a part of a story after Lucy Flores accused Biden of touching her inappropriately. Reed was one of the seven other women who shared their stories about Biden. Reed told reporters about the way he would put his hands on her shoulders run his fingers up and down her neck. She considered talking about the rest of her story, but she didn't because her claims of sexual harassment got her doxxed and smeared as a Russian agent. That was April 2019 that in january 2020 reed tried to come forward again this time times up now times up ldf as ryan Grimm reported at the intercept the organization's organization said they couldn't help her because biden was a candidate for federal office and supporting a case against him could jeopardize their nonprofit status <clears throat> Also pointed out that the public relation firm that works on behalf of Time's Up Legal Defense Fund is SKD Knickerbocker, whose managing director Anita Dunn is a top advisor of Biden's presidential campaign. Not surprisingly, there were no witnesses to the alleged sexual assault, but Tara's brother and her good friend, each of whom I've spoken with, recall being told about the assault by Tara at the time. This is a story that should have been looked into. Tara reached out to countless people to try to get her story out. Nobody would, not even the one organization that was made to support women like her. It's the left. They talk about this shit, but when it's one of their own, we just lived it, folks. We just went through the whole thing with Franken. He shouldn't have resigned. It was ridiculous. That's the way they operate. All these rules only apply for people not on their team. So there'll be probably no more to follow on that because the media is not going to cover it. They're going to ignore it. So while we're on it, and before we go into propaganda, our closing section, let's talk about Clinton. Now, I'm going to put my tinfoil hat on. I invite you to. But I truly believe there's always been that connection where reporters and everybody get together. Because the talking points are too clean. You can flip the channels from CNN to MSDNC. Most of the time they're talking the same shit. And I know we have Twitter and I know everybody reads stuff and, you know, Miss Pelosi coming out and saying, Fiddle turned into Chuck Todd saying he has blood on his hands. But this story... It's Obama all over again. Exclusive new email leak reveals Clinton campaign's cozy, fresh relationship. This is from 2016 and it got resurfaced surfaced this week. And it is pretty much what's probably going on with this Biden thing right now and the Trump attacks. Internal strategy documents and emails among Clinton staffers shed light on friendly and highly useful relationships between the campaign and various members of the U.S. media, as well as the campaign strategies for manipulating those relationships. The emails were provided to The Intercept by the source identified as Guccifer 2.0, who was reportedly responsible for the prior significant hacks, including one that targeted the DNC and resulted in the resignations of top four officials. On Friday, Obama administration officials claimed that Russia's senior-most officials were responsible for the hack, but the Guccifer 2.0 is really what we talked about. So, as they go through this, at times the Clinton campaign staff not only initially drafted the stories they wanted published, but even specified what should be quoted on background and what should be described as on the record. One January 2015 strategy document designed to plant stories on Clinton's decision-making process about whether to run for president singled out reporter Maggie Haberman, then a Politico, now covering the election for the New York Times, as a friendly journalist who was teed up, has teed up stories for them in the past, and never disappointed Nick Merrill, the campaign press secretary, produced the memo, according to the docu- document metadata, placing a story. <clears throat> As discussed on our call, we are all in agreement that the time is right, place a story with a friendly journalist in the coming days that positions us a little more transparently while achieving the above goals. Who? For something like this, especially in the absence of us teasing things out to others, we feel that's important to go with what is safe and what has worked in the past and to publications that will reach industry people for recruitment purposes. We have, ha- we have, has a very good relationship with Maggie Haberman. That strategy document plotted how Clinton aides would induce Haberman to write a story in the thoroughness and profound introspection involved in Clinton's decision-making process. The following month, when she was at the Times, Haberman published two stories on Clinton's vetting process. In this instance, Haberman's stories were more sophisticated, nuanced, and even somewhat more critical than what the Clinton memo envisioned. But they nonetheless accomplished the goal. Clinton campaign aides wanted to fulfill casting by appearance of transparency on the Clinton vetting process in a way that was made clear she was moving carefully, but exorbitantly toward a presidential run. Given more than 24 hours to challenge the authenticity of these documents respond, Merrill did not reply to our emails. Haberman declined to comment. Other documents listed through those whom the campaign regarded as their most reliable surrogates such as CNN's Hillary Rosen and Donna Brazil, as well as the Center for American Progress, Nara Tandon, But then also listed operatives whom they believe were either good progressive helpers or more potentially friendly media figures who might be worth targeting with messaging. The metadata of the surrogate document shows the file was authored by Jennifer Palmieri, the communication director of the campaign. As The Intercept previously reported, pundits regularly featured on cable news programs, were paid by the Clinton campaign without any disclosure when they appeared. Several of them are included in this surrogate list, including Stephanie Cutter and Maria Cordona. Progressive helpers David Brock, Correct the Record, Mo Althium, and Judd Legum. We cover him all the time. He's probably working for Biden. Colonists, pundits, and calls Kiki Finley Lee. The list needs work just to start. Additional surrogates, Philip, Podesta, Mills, Joel, Maddie, Jim, Prince, Jim being Jim Acosta, Nira Lockhart, Joel, Johnson, Stewart, Mike Fieldman, Lockhart being Joe Lockhart, Dan Balz, Wolf Blitzer, Gloria Borger, Mika Brzezinski, David Brooks, Gail Collins, John Dickerson, EJ Dion Maureen Dowd, Rona Farrow, Howard Fineman, Ron Fournier, Mark Halpern, who's no longer there, Chris Hayes, John Heilman, John Carl, John King, Mara Lazen, Rachel Maddow, Ruth Marcus, Chris Matthews, Dana Milbank, Andrea Mitchell, Nora O'Donnell, Robin Roberts, Eugene Robinson, Charlie Rose, April Ryan, George Snuffberger, Robin Sproul, Karen Tumulty, we read all the time, Jeff Zellini, the Clean campaign likes to use glitzy, intimate, completely off-the-record parties between top campaign aides and leading media personalities. One of the most elaborate planned get-together was an April 2015 memo, and we covered this during this time, but make sure we understand. These are the people that showed up. Cecilia Vega, David Muir, Diane Sawyer, Joe Snuffleupagus, John Carl, John Heilman, Nora O'Donnell, Vicki Gordon, Brian Keller, David Chalain, Gloria Berger, Jeff Cellini, John Berman, Katie Bolden, Mark Preston, Sam Feist. This is everybody at CNN. Jackie Curinch, Mike Fieldman, Whitney Snyder, Alex Wagner, Beth Futhy, Phil Griffin, Rachel Maddow, Savannah Guthrie, Amy Chozik, Ryan Lizza, and New Yorker, Jonathan Martin, Maggie Haberman, Pat Healy, Politico, Glenn Thrush, Mike Allen, Alyssa Mastromonaco, John Allen. Unknown, Jonathan Alter, Ben Smith, Gail King, John Dickerson, Ed Schultz, Joe Scarborough, David Remnick, Tina Brown, Maria Allen Salinas, and Matt Bai. The only people that declined this shindig, Jake Tapper, Jeff Zucker, Arianna Huffington, Sam Stein, Chuck Todd, Carol Ryan, Aaron Burnett, Mike Orensky, Mika Brzezinski, Thomas Roberts, Andrea Mitchell, and Jeff Earl. They're the only people that didn't show up. And I won't go over the rest of it, because it talked about what they disseminated to the media. Now, I bring this up and it was literally brought up because it's what's happening now. This is what our media is doing with Biden. And every one of those names are on CNN. Maggie Haberman attacks the president weekly. Tom Mulcahy does it. David Brooks does it. 4 years later these people haven't changed, boys and girls. This is your media. They are linked to campaigns, some of them on the dole as spokesmen. And CNN, MSNBC, they don't release that when they go on the air. They don't say they work for the Biden campaign. You can just guarantee everybody does. If they're not on Fox News, every pundit that goes on, every anchor works for Biden. That's just what it is. So I had to cover it just because we just talked about it. And you can guarantee they got an email chain running now, the Biden campaign, because a lot of them are Hillary Flax. Let's close this bad boy off with one soundbite to start off propaganda. How our media is helping communist China Carry their lives
8: home with your family. how are you passing the time
24: you know we're we're fortunate under the circumstances um, basically, I take my kids back and forth between one grandma's house and the other oh. grandma's house uh, and and that's it that's all that you know we don't go anywhere else. Uh, and, and, uh, it's been, it's, it, it's been, it's been fine. Uh, you know, I go from my kids driving me absolutely nuts to just savoring every minute that we have together. Um, but it, 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 you know, this, this, this situation that we're in right now is just so surreal. I mean, we are living through a period that is going to be read about in history books in perpetuity. So you know, just recognizing the significance of this period is, you know, has not gotten lost on me at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
23: Hi, Lisa. This is Sarah. A few days ago, you wrote a message to the president on your Instagram page asking him why he was choosing to call the coronavirus the China virus. Why did you want to call this out? And what do you think his reason for doing this is? Well, I was pretty
24: astounded when he started calling uh, the coronavirus the Chinese virus. I mean, This, it's been months since this crisis began and to me it just seemed like a way to deflect attention from the fact that he was not taking it seriously for months and months I just didn 't understand why of all people and, and, and of all times he would start to to call this virus that has a name its the, name is covid nineteen yeah. he's the only person the world over who started to call it the Chinese virus it just it seemed like he was deflecting blame. Mm.
23: Lisa, you know, you've talked about how dangerous this is for the Asian American community. And I completely agree with you. I was so infuriated when the president of the United States started calling it the China virus and the Wuhan virus. Have you or any of your family and friends experienced any racism since the president started calling it the Chinese virus?
24: Oh, absolutely. Uh, I have friends, kids who've been taunted. I have friends who who. Uh, have have talked about being harassed in places, and if you just if you if you google stories about about Asians being harassed since the president started calling this Chinese virus, there are countless stories in fact, the national crisis uh, text hotline has had a sizable increase of Asians uh, reporting that they are feeling depressed because they 've been bullied and because they feel like uh, they are somehow responsible for this crisis because the president has characterized it as a as the Chinese virus
11: hey Lisa it's Megan um I I think all of us are in agreement that any kind of racism or bigotry directed towards any Asian American is not something that can we can stand it's disgusting and I think we're all in agreement that it's not something that should be taking place in this country um all of that being said, I have had a lot of strong criticism about the Chinese government suppressing information coming out of the country. There was actually a whistleblower doctor who was incredibly brave trying to warn the rest of the world about the severity of COVID-19. He has since gone missing. No one knows where he is. Where do you think the fine line is in the media where we can still criticize the Chinese government and the communist regime for you know, suppressing information and letting it get this far?
24: Well, it's a great question, Megan. And I, by no means, have any any love or affection for the Chinese government. And I and I have found that their actions uh, immediately after the virus was discovered uh, in Wuhan, their actions have been indefensible. That 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 doctor may he rest in peace, who mm-hmm. sounded the alarm that there that that, that 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 this is something that we should be concerned about. The world should be concerned about the fact that he was arrested. Uh, to me, is unconscionable, absolutely unconscionable. But this idea that had we had we known the severity of it sooner would have made us prepare even sooner it, it is is somewhat ludicrous because now we're still we're months into this crisis now, and up until very very recently, up until it actually hit the United States, our president was in denial. About it and, and and still calling it a hoax. I mean, my own husband, when thirty five people had died of this, uh, this virus in China, and thousands of people had been affected, this is very, very early on. My own husband said, this is something different. I have never uh, 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 witnessed a, a virus that was spreading so quickly. This is going to have serious, serious consequences. Uh, the most prominent virologists in the world were saying this has to be taken seriously and it wasn't until it hit us soil and even i mean it was even weeks after the first person died in washington state that the president started becoming more serious about this so this how idea
12: can we change point that out in also the future? that january because they wait, knew in january can we that? this was coming
11: what second But how can we change this going forward? Because there's a lot of anger and a lot of frustration and a lot of fear with, I would say, the the great swath of the American public. And I don't disagree with you that this administration at this point, I mean, to say that that they're going to have a lot of answering to do with the slow response is putting it extremely mildly. But what can we learn from this just as citizens in the United States? Because clearly, if there's one thing we've learned, it's that we cannot trust the government to look out for us in a situation like this. Well, and
24: and that's the thing, and and we could sit here and and blame China until we're blue in the face, but how is that going to help us right now? The fact of the matter is that we have we have just passed a thousand American Americans who have died of coronavirus. Our hospitals are are hugely overwhelmed. There is this 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 invisible and silent killer amongst us, uh, and 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 we need to address it now. So focusing on Blaming China isn't going to do us any good now. In fact, if anything, we should be asking China for help. They have reported no new cases of coronavirus. We should be saying, "Okay, how can you help us now? Because we are now the epicenter of the world.
13: The United States now has the most cases of COVID-19 anywhere in the world.
24: With the United States now reporting the highest number of cases around the world.
23: Far more than any other place in the world. The first country to report more than
19: 100,000 confirmed cases. Outstripping China and Italy. When we
6: appear to pass China and then Italy.
19: Surpassing China and Italy in the most perverse possible version of Trump's signature slogan, America First.
13: The U.S. has the highest number of confirmed cases in the world. As the U.S. tops the world in coronavirus cases.
19: The United States now has more than 120,000 confirmed cases, the most in the world.
6: Of course, that requires that you believe all the other countries reporting, including
4: China. Objective journalists and scientists are now going through this. And you get articles that the media is not going to cover. Estimates show Wuhan death toll far higher than official figures so the starting of the week several large funeral homes in wuhan have been handling out the cremated remains of around 500 people to their families every day suggesting far more people died it can't be right because the incinerators have been working around the clock so how can so few have died a wuhan resident surnamed zong said they started distributing ashes and started interment ceremonies on monday Seven funeral homes currently serve in Wuhan, a huge comic, cor- of three cities, Hankou, Wuchang, and Heiyang. Social media users have been doing some basic math to figure out their daily capacity, while the news website Kaichin.com reported that 5,000 urns have been delivered by a supplier to the Hankou funeral home in one day alone, double the official members, official numbers of death. Unlike the media, I'm not relishing these numbers. I don't want anybody to die. I'm just reporting this is what's coming out of China. Some social media posts have estimated that all seven funeral homes in Wuhan are handling around, handing out 3,500 urns every day. Family homes have informed families that they will try to complete cremations before the traditional grave-tending festival of Qingming on April 5th which would indicate a 12-day process. Such an estimate would mean that 42,000 urns would be given out during that time. Various calculations. Another popular estimate is based on the cremation capacity of the funeral homes, which run a total of 84 furnaces with a capacity of over 24 hours of 1,560 urns. This calculation results in an estimate of 46,008. Hundred deaths the source said Wuhan saw 28,000 cremations in the space of a single month suggesting that the online estimate over a two and a half month period weren't excessive Wuhan resident Sun Linen said relatives of those who died are now forming long lines outside funeral homes to collect their loved ones it has already begun Sun said Thursday there were people lining up in Bendishan Cemetery yesterday and a lot of people forming lines today at Hankou. Wuhan resident Chen Yohe told RFA that the city officials have been handing out 3000 won in funeral allowance to the families of the dead in exchange for their silence. There has been a lot of funerals in the past few days and the authorities are handing over 3000 won and hush money to the families who get their loved ones' remains laid to rest ahead of Quinn Ming. Um, it's to stop them keeping a traditional expression of, keening a traditional expression of grief. Nobody's allowed to keen after Quinn Ming has passed. The son of deceased COVID-10 patient, Hu Hazan, said he's been told to collect his mother's ashes by the local neighborhood committee. The local committee told me that we're now handling funerals, but I don't want to do it right now. The man, surnamed Ding, told RFA there are too many people doing it right now. Chen said nobody in the city believes the official death toll. The official number of deaths was 2,500 people. But before the epidemic began, a city crematorium typically cremated around 220 people a day, he said. But during the epidemic, they transferred cremation work from around China to Wuhan keeping cremation bodies around the clock. A resident surnamed Gao said the city's seven crematoriums should have a capacity of around 2,000 bodies a day if they worked around a clock. Anyone looking at that figure will realize anyone with any ability to think, what are they talking about? 2,535 people. Seven crematoriums could get through more than that in a single day. Then... This came out from a company that tracks it. By it, they track mobile carriers. How many cell phones are on. In our media, they ran a story about the mobile carriers during spring break and how it was going to really impact the pandemic. They won't carry the China mobile carriers lose 21 million users during the Wuhan virus.
22: Hey, little this it's Loudy6 here with another video. Hope you guys are staying safe. Hope you guys are self-quarantining. Depending on where you are, I've seen people um, breaking the rules, going out, fraternizing with people. Uh, here in California, people have been quite good about it, which is really nice to see. I have multiple connections with people in China and people that are well connected to people in high positions of, uh, we can say high positions of the health sphere that have passed along some very important information that might help us make sense of what actually is happening uh, within China. If you're following the CCP led media, the state media, soft power propaganda, you would actually, you would actually start believing the idea that China's gotten this entire situation under control. There's, like, no new cases. I did make that prediction that there were gonna, there's going to be another second outbreak, but they're going to claim it's from the outside. Either America started the whole thing or Italy started the whole thing or Japan started the whole thing and also claim victory over this whole thing. But then when the second outbreak happens, it's going to be from people coming from abroad going back into China, and that's happening. There's a lot of uh, discrimination and horrible things happening to foreigners within China. My recommendation to everyone there is if you have plans uh, or the means to maybe leave or find employment outside of China, it's probably a good idea at this point. Now, the really damning and important thing I really want to bring up now is um, a lot of people are talking about this. And actually, I discovered this ages ago, uh, the massive drop in cell phone subscriptions. Now... As you know, any company that operates within China, they have to have a party member on board if they have over forty empl- or 50 employees. Sorry. And that means that it's basically state ownership within privatized companies as well. Now, there's three major cell phone providers in China. There's China Mobile. And that's the, that was like the most popular one. And I noticed something uh, a couple weeks ago, I believe. I noticed that in their public data, they had lost about 7 million subscriptions to their cell phone service. And my brain was like trying to make sense of this because I went through historical data. I went back uh, from 2020, 19, eight, uh, 18, 17, 16. Uh, I think 2016 was like the earliest public data I could find. And there was never one instance of them losing subscriptions over gaining subscriptions. And this happened abruptly. 7 million uh, cell phone subscriptions wiped out. So, I was talking to my uh, father-in-law, talking to some people about why this might be trying to make sense of it. Uh, My brain didn't immediately go to a dark place. But then the excuses started coming out. So, my father-in-law and some other people were saying, hey, it's because uh, they're dropping their old 4G service and going to 5G. And I said, okay, okay, that kind of makes sense. Then I looked into it and actually the public data includes their 5G subscriptions because China Mobile does have 5G. Then. The excuses changed. And then he started saying things like, and the other people started saying things like, "Well, it's just because there's a more competitive package from the other companies, like China Unicom." And so I said, "Okay." So I started looking their data as well, and they were losing millions of subscriptions immediately and abruptly at the same time. Cumulatively, like at the end of the day, it was 21 million subscriptions lost, and that's a bit weird if you think about it. It was exactly around the same time that everyone was uh, you know, getting welded into their houses. Um, you know, All this kind of huge crackdown that the Chinese government was doing on its own people. And all that when the speculation of the crematoriums and all that kind of stuff came out. So it's not me insinuating that 21 million people died, but at the same time, it is absolutely bizarre that there's no real logical excuse or uh, statement from any of these companies as to why this happened. And the fact that they let their data go public is just one of those kind of chabadoa, like, oops, we forgot about this. You know, I, th- I feel like it's going to be almost impossible to find out why this happened. But the reason I brought this up was not that I think that this is necessarily true. I do think that the numbers in China, of course, are potentially 10 to 100 times higher than they were just because of misreporting and it, you know the way that they've tried to cover this entire situation up. But the reason I brought this up was because the lack of transparency and the fact that the government, Chinese government hasn't been honest with the entire world about actually what happened and could have prevented this entire thing, but due to face and the structure, top-down authoritarian dictatorship that is the Chinese government, due to the way that they covered it, it makes people go out there and look for crazy theories. And I don't think this whole cell phone... Uh, I can't call it a scandal yet, but I don't think this whole cell phone debacle... Um, is indicative of anything sinister in itself, but it proves that people have to go out and find ways to understand actually what happened. When you look at the numbers in Italy, when you look at the numbers in Spain, even the numbers in the U S when you look at percentages and compare them to China, it just doesn't add up. It doesn't make any sense. All right. And it's taking people like me and Winston and all these other people to actually talk to people and, and figure out what's going on. So I found some other interesting stuff. Um, somebody who wished to be anonymous sent me this. I did some digging. They sent me this uh, article about the fact that, the COVID or sorry, the coronaviruses, could be tied back to bats and they were studying this, right? So I did some digging myself and I actually went to the website of the Wuhan Institute of Virology. So this is like a, a university slash, uh, I'm going to say a virus lab that studies, uh, transmissible viruses. And I found this job opening. I'm going to post it here in Chinese first, but I've uh, translated it over here as well. Look at the date here. It says, uh, 11, 18, 2019. So this is November 18th. So this is about a month before we really knew anything. It says it is recruiting one to two postdoctoral fellows, um, and they're going to research the unique mechanism of BAT's innate immunity. So the job requirements, you've got to have a PhD, you got to have all these uh, English communication skills. They're trying to recruit people from abroad. And remember, this is in the, the uh, virus lab that's very close to the initial breakout. Uh, the, they have the salary here, which is actually pretty good for China. The most important thing is down here at the bottom. It is the PI introduction. Peng Zhou, PhD researcher, Wuhan Institute of Virology. Chinese Academy of Sciences and leader of bat virus infection immunization. He received his Ph.D. in the Wuhan Virus Research Institute in 2010. And he has worked on uh, bat virus and immunology in Australia and Singapore. In 2009, he took the lead in uh, starting the research on the immune mechanism of bat long-term carrying transmitting viruses in the world. So far, he's published more than 30 SCI articles, including the first corresponding authors, Nature Cell, Host, Microbe, and PNAS. At present, research on bat virus and immunology is continuing and has received support from the Na- National Excellence Youth Fund and the pilot project of the Chinese Academy of Sciences, and the major project of the Ministry of Science and Technology. Now, the main research direction of this research group, so the foreigners that they're trying to hire, these scientists with PhDs, Again, remember this is in November 19th, 2019. Taking bats as a research object, I will answer the molecular mechanism that can coexist with Ebola and SARS-associated coronavirus for a long time without disease and its relationship with flight and longevity. Virology, immunology, cell biology, and multiple omics are used to compare the differences between humans and other mammals. Now, this is not to say that this was some random, you know, bioweapon that people keep speculating about. I think that's, that's nonsense to me. But this does show that pe- they were recruiting people to come to the, the virus lab to actually study coronavirus transmissibility between humans and bats just a month before this all happened. And that is very, very interesting stuff. And, you know, what's really funny. The most funny thing is when I was digging, I actually pulled up this website. This is a little while ago. I wanted to see if this website would be taken down because this job opening is still open. You can still go to this website. So if you go to the Wuhan Institute of Virology, you have to do it in Chinese, but you can translate with Google or something. It's still there. And I want to see, this is my little test. I want to see if this website goes down. It'll obviously be on archive.org or something, but I want to see if after my website or after my video kind of simmers for a little, I want to see if this goes down. I'm very, very, very curious. Uh, Some other updates. Chinese government is now, uh, well, it had been promoting uh, traditional Chinese medicine, TCM. So you're talking about things like herbs and elixirs and mystical stuff that hasn't been proven by science to uh, cure or treat coronavirus. And I found that appalling in the beginning. And there was a little bit of pushback uh, to the point where a lot of people on Weibo were saying, listen, can we just like use science to, to deal with this? People are dying. So it stopped for a while. Now, there is a whole full ban on the uh, sale of wild animals in China, which is you know what most people believe to be the source of the coronavirus. So, you'd think that because of this, uh, you know, banning pangolin scales and rhino horns and all this kind of stuff, wide-scale ban, which I don't believe will be enacted fully anyway in China, you'd think that they would stop pr- promoting these mystical methods that use rare animal parts. But nope. Chinese government is now approving and recommending that people get injections of bear bile. And I'm not even joking. Uh, They are promoting that right now. It is the Shanghai uh, Kaibao Pharmaceutical Company. We know the horrific practice of bear bile removal from bears. They're kept in cages and they like suck the bile out basically. Um, Widely hated across the world, but they're actually promoting a medicine that uses at least in part one ingredient, bear bile. Pretty horrific stuff. Cannot believe that they're actually doing that. I think that it might be a stimulus for a lot of these pharmaceutical companies, uh, for TCM that have not seen a lot of business uh, these days. Now, another thing... like I said, the imported cases scandal in China. So China is now saying we don't have any domestic cases of coronavirus. We've taken care of it. We we wiped it all out. Now everyone needs to applaud us and say, hey, you did such a great job. Then the West basically says, hey, or other countries say, hey, but it started there. How do you, how can you claim victory over something that you started? It's like setting your own house on fire and then, you know, you walk over with a bucket of water after two weeks and it's a smoldering mess. And you're like, look, I put it out. I predicted that this imported cases thing was going to be a way for the Chinese government to point it elsewhere. But not only did they point it elsewhere, they also said that it probably didn't even come from China. That is a state-endorsed message at this point. So the whole thing is that if you leave China and then you come back to China, now you have to go into quarantine for 14 days. Uh, foreigners have to stay in hotels and pay for it themselves. Chinese people have other options, but it's so crowded to the point where, you know, people are just paying to stay in a hotel. Some of them really poor conditions, some of them kind of swanky and nice, Um, but you get food delivered to your door and whatnot. Either way, to avoid um, any debacle or any forced quarantine or... In order to even board a flight that is going into China, China requires you to have a piece of paper that goes in your medical folder that says you've been tested and you are clean um, and you do not have coronavirus, right? Now, there's a huge business right now in Taobao, which is Chinese eBay, which is selling COVID-free health certificates to help people board those international flights right now. So for 3RMB, you can buy this folder. It looks like a government official... Uh, folder that you would get when you get immunizations and stuff in China and then inside is your report um, I believe it costs a little more to have like a custom report but basically saying that you do not have the coronavirus now why would people be buying this if they didn't have it or if they hadn't been tested um, the fact that there's a market for that is a little alarming I'm not surprised. Taobao is full of this kind of stuff. You can buy fake degrees on there. You can buy fake uh, medical certification if you want to have a pharmacist license. You can buy driver's licenses. You can buy pieces of guns. You can buy uh, books, but inside it's hollowed out and there's drugs inside. It's the wild west of, I should say the wild east of commerce on the Internet. So I wasn't surprised to see this, but the effects that this could potentially have is pretty pretty amazing. Uh, Vivi, my my wife, turned me on to something very interesting as well. So, there's been this kind of, she's been following her friends in China, kind of where their mental gymnastics is leading them to based on state propaganda. So first, uh, the virus started in the US. It was a bioweapon against China. That's kind of simmered down now and now, uh, I would say more recently, people are saying it started in Italy because look at all their cases, patient zeroes there, all this kind of stuff. But, funnily enough, it actually moved on to a minor ally of China. And a lot of her friends are now claiming that it might've started in Russia of all places, which I find alarming because Chinese people tend to look at Russia as this marginalized ally that they have always getting uh, targeted by Western countries and bullied and all this kind of stuff. The funny thing is that when China was kind of playing down the numbers and hiding everything, it made people feel like China was a safe place to be. So now Chinese people in China that are listening to kind of crazy conspiracy theories, or even like some different outlets of state media are now saying that there are millions of cases in Russia. People are dying everywhere. It's a huge pandemic, but they're reporting that there's not that many and it's not a big deal. And actually I dug this up on, uh, on WeChat. I saw this posted probably like six times i'm not even joking people are posting this as saying look at how bad russia is look how scary it is russia unleashed more than 500 lions onto its street to ensure that people are staying indoors during this pandemic outbreak and i i thought it was a joke you know but people are posting this with their wechat thing saying like look at how bad this is oh my god this is scary i don't know if you notice in this photo This headline, it says breakyourownnews.com. It's where you can type in any headline you want. And this picture is from like ages ago. It's another one that says, uh, this one pointed at Canada actually. And they were saying, oh my God, Justin Trudeau like really screwed up. He let this spread like crazy. Canadians are so bad. Chinese people living in Canada, you got to come home. It's safer. Breaking news, Canada unleashed more than 500 bears on the streets to ensure that people are staying indoors during this coronavirus outbreak. And the bottom says, Justin Trudeau re- released around 500 bears to make people stay indoors. Also made with this uh, handy little website, BreakYourOnNews.com. It shows you the level. I guess when, you're, when your own government is spouting and changing its mind all the time about what you should believe, it starts to mess with you, I think. When you're supposed to entr- entrust this all-powerful dictatorship that that has your best interests in mind, right? You're going to see stuff like that with actual educated 20-something, 30-something-year-old people spreading it around and actually believing it, and it's nuts. I would I would like to say that most of the people I know wouldn't believe something so ridiculous, but the fact that this is making its rounds, is it's mind-blowing to me. It's really mind-blowing to me. So that's kind of the stuff that I wanted to uh, pinpoint today. I want to keep you guys updated. It's rough covering this kind of stuff. We're not making any money off of our videos, but it's one of those things where people are looking to us to, to maybe make sense of stuff they can't read in Chinese or understand what's happening within China. But the most important thing to remember is that this is the Xi virus. And it will always be the Xi virus to me. It will always be that to me. Do not let that escape you. Do not let you forget this. Oh, by the way, I want to throw one more funny thing in here. Um, this is just lighthearted. Now, Taiwan has been... Uh, Very vocal about not being able to be let into the WHO and how that's been a detriment to the world. I also agree with that. But Taiwan's not getting off easy this time. Look at this. Reporting live with blah, blah, blah. Trying Taiwan Pizza Hut. This is Taiwan Pizza Hut's branch. New matcha green tea with red bean pizza. What what appears to be a food crime to most Italians is underway. Taiwan, you really screwed up this time. Seriously, I love you, but... Matcha and red bean pizza. Those are like two of the worst foods in the entire world. It's disgusting. Uh, either way, I'm glad to see Taiwan and Taiwanese people really pulling through this. Um, I think the world has a lot of lessons to learn from the way Taiwan dealt with us. If you've made it this far in the video, uh, I'll see you guys tomorrow on ADB Podcasts. Don't forget, we'll be on there 3 p.m. PT Pacific Time, uh, 6 p.m. ET, Eastern Standard Time. And uh, Winston will be on Friday, of course, with his video. He's going to touch on a similar topic uh, to what I brought up, but more about how foreigners are being received in China right now. Kind of a big warning to everyone. Uh, I think there's some dark times ahead for expats in China, that's for sure. Uh, Thank you to everyone that's been supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash 6 It's the only way we're pulling any bread in this this, during these times. And I understand that people... uh, you know, especially people that can't go to work and get paid. It's, it's tough to support some phantom dude on YouTube. So I really appreciate that. I'll see you guys tomorrow on the podcast. Uh, If not, I'll see you next week, next Wednesday. Thank you so much law winners. And I'll catch you
4: on the next one. Now that is one of many videos on YouTube covering this. There's companies that do this. This isn't a fucking tinfoil hat. This isn't a bunch of Trumpers running around. This is what's happening. British scientific advisors claim China outbreak could be fifteen to forty times worse. Forty times worse. But what do we get? Yashar Ali with that Taiwan soundbite I played earlier. Yeah. They're fuckheads. But they're carrying the numbers like they're factual. So, you're getting people that are actually starting to track it. After the coronavirus thing is all said and done, the folks, we will get through this. We plan on writing many articles like this one about the trash media, disgusting, anti-American, pro-Chinese headlines. If this was truly their last stand against Trump, they failed miserably because there's only made even bigger jokes of themselves. It's no coincidence their ratings are in the crapper. Yes, yes, this editor does keep saying that, and I will continue to say it over and over again. Look at this hot mess and big props to Drew Holden, For putting it together. Drew Holden. I for one am looking forward to the correction and apology. New York Times. It's coronavirus cases dwindling. China turns focus outward. They were pushing China handing out supplies. Other than America because of Trump. But Liz Shai. Turkey, Spain, and Czech are throwing out thousands of tests sent by China because they don't work. The Netherlands just announced nearly half of its Chinese tests are faulty. China's coronavirus diplomacy suddenly not going so well. And U2, The Guardian, ran that article. China sends doctors en masse overseas as domestic coronavirus infections drop. ABC, Reuters, Time Magazine... Atlantic Council is just shameful. Not a surprise Atlantic Council at all. If you ever get bored, take a gander at who sits on their board. Not expecting the moral lightweights at The Intercept to fix this, obviously. AJ English for Al Jazeera. NBC News might get a Pulitzer for trusted American media outlet pushing the Chinese propaganda. NPR was pushing it. Chris Hayes was pushing it. Guy Benson. Josh Rogan. Wuhan reported only about two thousand five hundred coronavirus deaths, but five thousand urns were delivered to one mortuary over just two days. Wuhan has seven other mortuaries. And they show Chris Hayes, we are quite literally doing worse job of containing the virus than any other country. AG conservative, no informed person who has followed this virus trajectory around the world actually believes this. I'll leave it to others to conclude what it says about Chris that he would make this claim to his followers. Jim Acosta, from the numbers we talked before, so excited. Ryan Savandra, CNN reporter, believes that the communist country has lied about trying to cover up the outbreak, is now all of a sudden telling the truth about the numbers that is reporting. Candilian, with Italy in dire need of medical equipment, an economic superpower stepped in to help. No, not the United States. It was China. Yeah, China is helping. Steve Cortez. Sorry, Ken, but China torching the entire neighborhood and then lending a couple of fire extinguishers to fight the inferno does not equal leadership. To be sure, there's a broad consensus among health experts that China's initial effort to cover the virus outbreak fueled what has become a global contagion. If China did so good, American media, why do we have it? Anybody? Chinese state communist propaganda promotes Hillary Clinton's coronavirus attack on Trump. China state communist propaganda promoted a tweet from... Democrat Hillary Clinton on Friday that contained misleading information about Donald Trump's response to coronavirus, which originated in China. The president is turning to racist rhetoric to distract from his failure to take the coronavirus seriously early on. Make tests widely available and adequately prepare the country for the period of crisis, Clinton wrote. Don't fall for it. Don't let your friends and family fall for it. Chinese state media took a screenshot of Clinton's tweet and wrote... Former U.S. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton on Wednesday critiqued Trump's recent usage of China virus to refer to COVID-19 as a racist rhetoric, which is an attempt to eclipse his poor response in curbing the virus outbreak. Chinese Ambassador to South Africa Lin Songdian promoted the tweet, writing, It is true. Justice always speaks loudly. Do you think a conservative could tweet something that China retweets? I mean, you expect it out of Clinton because they were very chummy. There There's proof they got finance for Clinton Bill's fucking election for fucking Chinese. Then we have the next one. No big thing, just the media pushing to censor Trump and the basic head of Chinese propaganda retweeting him. And yes, bravo, Kyle Griffin. China will be super pleased with your effort to silence the President of the United States. Stephen L. Miller. Bravo, Kyle Griffin. Advocates censorship of Sullyview like a good little soldier. And the Chinese information minister retweets you like a good little soldier. Kyle Griffin. Margaret Sullivan. The media must stop live broadcasting Trump's dangerous, destructive coronavirus briefing. Retweeted by Lin Zhao. Stephen L. Miller, turn off the press briefings. Margaret Solver, good idea, communist state government. People's response, they're literally helping communist China. You think getting retweeted by the Chinese state information minister would be a wake-up call, but nope. Orange man bad, orange man must be punished. Even if that means helping a bunch of communists while their own country burns. If we don't laugh, we'll never stop crying. Another one, Yamachi Alcinder. China has risen so quickly that your chances of improving your station in life there vastly exceeds those of the United States. The American dream is alive in China. Imagine two poor 18-year-olds, one in the U.S., the other in China. Who has a better chance of success? Are you sure? Those are articles The media put out, and I could, I could go on for three podcasts. I'm just touching a few. Just to own Trump, that's what they did. They came up with pro China. China's helping. We're not. China curtailed the virus. We're not. When all scientific data proves China's lying. China handed out bad tests. China handed out bad PPE. But we're back into the same thing we used to be. When Mitt Romney said China's an enemy, they said your foreign policy from the 80s looking. And I will guarantee you, if Biden gets in office, all of a sudden China tried to help Trump get reelected. To our This is America, I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to play it and then laugh. Washington Post prints a three page tribute to war- warrior heroine Nancy Pelosi and put out this video. It is, I mean, if I was going for my master's, this would be my thesis on media bias This is America Don't catch your
3: slipping now Don't catch your slipping now Look what I'm whipping now. This is America Don't catch your slipping now Don't catch your slipping now It's time for the last cell bike
10: Like the media say slipping, when they are
3: pushing
10: living now Liberal the stories
19: this is, this is America in 2019 America. In my
3: area.
17: the family i was born into was devoutly catholic deeply patriotic proud of our italian american heritage and staunchly democratic and we saw our democratic uh, values as related to our religious values quite frankly so it was a, a, almost a moral imperative that we would be community oriented That didn't mean you had to run for office. The
8: Honorable Nancy Pelosi of the state of California is duly elected Speaker of the House of Representatives.
17: It's an historic moment for the Congress. It's an historic moment for the women of America.
0: I think you've written, though, that your mother's aspiration was that you become a (laughs) nun. (laughs) She did. She thought that was the best way to have the most beautiful spiritual life.
17: They didn't raise me to be speaker. They raised me to be holy.
0: First thing I wanted to talk to you about was just the kind of sheer unlikelihood that you would be here in this position. Mm -hmm. Because people look at you and they say, Oh well, you know, she was the daughter of the mayor of Baltimore, her brother was the mayor of Baltimore. Surely she was groomed for this from the minute she was born. No, no, actually quite to the contrary. My
17: brother was groomed. And uh, we all love that because he's really the loveliest person in the world. A daily communicant, a beautiful uh, public servant, my brother Tommy. But, I no, I never was, and I never even wanted to be. I just wanted to be normal. You know, in other words, I saw people as families had weekends and things like that, and we were always doing political events, which we loved, because public service was a noble calling, and uh, we always had a responsibility to our community. And our family life was not affected, but I could see that my father worked constantly. I was shy, actually. I, I loved promoting other people. But I, it never interested me to be center stage.
0: But, it, you but I seem to have gotten over it. <laughs> you thought about law school, but you fell in love, and so those plans went by the wayside, uh, and you had five babies in six years. Almost to the day.
3: Mm-hmm.
17: Four of our five babies were born in New York, and so I would be pushing strollers at Halloween time, giving out... Um, And so in some of those buildings in New York, you couldn't pamphlet, you couldn't leaflet in the buildings for political purposes. But if you were trick-or-treating with your children and you were leafleting at the same time, it was a a cover. In
0: 1985, you decide to run for DNC chair. And I've gone back and read some of the coverage. What about just the sheer sexism of some of the attacks you were getting? One of my favorite phrases I've read of you during that 85 race, she, that you were an overbearing player of feminist politics. <laughs> yeah, maybe.
17: <laughs> I certainly hope so. <laughs> One person's insult is, you know, I take as a compliment, uh, but uh, that was new, I and mean, this was a long time ago. If I was called an overbearing feminist 35 years ago, I would consider that a compliment.
0: I read of a labor leader who called you an airhead. It was columnist who has
17: really been one of my friends in the the movement. But that happened to be one of the best things that happened to me from a political standpoint because uh, I think it's really important for people to know there's nothing as, shall we say, revealing as having an intra-party fight. And these were people I had worked with a long time. And I had really done everything in the party. I'd been chair of the biggest party. I had um, uh, organized a delegate selection. I had run a convention. I've done almost every piece of it, written a platform that was actually mainstream platform as chair of the California Democratic Party. So I had done everything that you do in the party. It was instructive. So when I ran for Congress and people started attacking me, I was ready. I wouldn't have been ready if I hadn't run for chair because in some instances it was like, well, these are people I've worked with. Why are they attacking me, saying things that aren't really even so because other people are advancing me for chair? So the best thing was uh, that run. When I eventually decided to run for Congress, uh, people would call me and say, did you hear what so-and-so said? Did you hear? I said, don't call me about that. Don't waste my time. I have to win this election. If you have energy that you want to expend, go knock on doors or send out postcards or raise money or call your friends to vote for me. But don't call me to tell me that somebody that should be our friend is saying something uh, demeaning because I'm, used, I'm ready for that.
0: When you make your decision to do the thing that you said you would never do, which right. is run for office. But well, I never
17: envisioned myself doing it, no.
0: It is it is and tragically, mm-hmm. I didn't yeah. realize until recently, I was looking through the stories, how young she was when she was <laughs> no. stricken. Well, first
17: of all, I didn't realize she was dying. I knew that she was ill, and what she had said to me is, you know, I don't think I want to do this again. I want to spend time with my the grandchild at what, at the time, and uh, you should run for my job, I said, "Masala, you should run for Congress." I said, "Well, there's no opening," and she said, "Well, I'm, I, I don't want to spend more time with the family. I'm not going to run again. So I want you to run, and I want to give you my support. And I want to know if you will accept that." And I said, "Well, I mean, I, I have to talk to my family and this or that. Now, four of my kids are in college. One was going to be a senior in high school. That was Alexandra." Uh, and so I went to Alexandra and said, Alexandra, mommy may have the opportunity to run for Congress. Uh, what that would entail is that I'd be gone like three days, three nights a week, four days. But any answer from you would be okay with me. And she said, um, mother, so I knew I was in trouble right there. Mother, get a life. I guess I had limited experience with people toward the end of life because she didn't seem that way. She was robust, her voice was strong. And she um, called in her brother-in-law, John Burton, who would become the chair of my campaign. And some other folks that were close to her, uh, she called them to, to her bedside. I've called you all here because I want to ask Nancy if she will run for my seat because I'm not going to seek reelection. And if she says yes, then I'm going to give her my endorsement, and I want all of you to support her as well. I want your answer now, Nancy. Will you run for the sea? Then just shortly thereafter, she passed away, and we were in a campaign. And seven weeks later was the primary day, and I won. And every time I'm introduced as the most powerful woman in American history, it breaks my heart because I think we should have a president. We could have had a president. My disappointment goes back to 2016. Hillary Clinton was our nominee, one of the best prepared people to be president of the United States in a long time. President Bush, I love the Bushes, but she was better prepared. Her own husband, she was better prepared for so many reasons. Probably go back to Papa Bush, because he was a vice president and all these other things. Hillary Clinton advanced the ball way down the field. These candidates, each one of them, knew her purpose, her why, her what, her how. They all were excellent and I think gave women confidence that a woman could do this job and gave American people beyond women that women woman could do the job. But it's a competitive arena. You have to win, you know, you just have to win. I don't think people should be disappointed that a woman didn't win, oh yes, but Rejoice in the fact that we had so many and that they have, again, cleared the path for many more women. When I was running for my first leadership position, um, the last thing that anybody who was supporting me could say to somebody to get his or her vote was, you should vote for Nancy because she's a woman. I didn't run as a woman, I ran again as a seasoned politician and experienced legislator. It just so happens that I am a woman, and and we have been waiting a long time for this moment. So I always say to people, being a woman, yes, you're a woman, that's self-evident. Now show your other, what else you have to offer. And that's why when women come here, and I want them all to have a security credential, whether it's armed service, foreign affairs, intelligence, veterans affairs, homeland security, issues within other committees that focus on defense, because that's an important credential for a woman to have. It's not just about issues that relate, that you would think women's issues, yes, they're important, but we consider every issue a woman's issue. And it is, uh, it's pretty exciting. It's 10 of our freshmen women are chairs of, uh, of subcommittees, not eight men, 10 women, and in a, The Watergate babies, when they came, not one of them had a gavel in the first year. So we've opened the door to have these people rise up, gain standing on their issues, more reputation, so they're better known and uh, further down the road should they seek higher office. When we have a woman president, and it will be soon, it will not only be great for America, it will be great for the world. I know what my position as speaker has done with Girls and fathers of girls and, and moms just saying this means so much because they see a path for themselves. But imagine, president of the United States. So we should not be uh, insecure about it all. We have to be uh, proud of what has happened, build on that, and we will, we will have a woman president. I don't know who it will be, but I know I hope it will be soon. I no longer be introduced as the most powerful woman in electoral history in America.
4: Wow. Nothing about how she's for abortion to college, how she played with the stimulus, how she's politicked everything, been a total fucking hypocrite and said, Oh, Republicans are do-nothing obstructionists, and she's been a do-nothing obstructionist. This is literally in the article. Um, let me see. It creates uh, something about her wearing a jacket. Nancy Pelosi has wielded power more forcefully and effectively than any speaker Says Joe Cannon, Says congressional authority Norman J. Orstein, invoking the name of the iron-fisted Republican who ruled the House in the early 20th century. Her assets include her public presence, her coolness under pressure, her remarkable negotiating skills, and her ability to get to yes. And just like last March, there was a sick reference to Pelosi's Catholicism. We saw our democratic values as related to our religious values, so it was almost a moral imperative that we would be community-oriented. It didn't mean you had to run for office. It meant you would participate in the manner that you did and help people run for office. For the candidates, the causes, the values of the Democratic Party. Those words and bold were proudly displayed on the top page A24 without tumulty asking precisely how in the 2020 that Democratic values are interchangeable with religious values, especially longstanding Catholic teaching on abortion, homosexuality. A religious liberty. How? Tumulty was a Hillary flack. She's not a journalist. It is a perfect capstone to this podcast. They are no longer capable of being objective. No longer. Every four years our media goes into election mode. That's normal. But it's never been to the level we're at now. Where they out and out, do no pushback. On If you go to CNN and MSNBC right now, very few Republicans are showing up because they know what's going on. They're pissed off. They're stuck in their house. And they have to blame somebody. So their partisanship comes out and they blame Trump, who they fucking hate. So this election cycle was already planning to be one of the most biased, wretched ones, worse than Clinton, which I never thought I'd ever say. They started pushing Clinton in 2013 to be the heir apparent most qualified candidate ever. But now they're on a mission. They will carry Chinese propaganda. They will lie about everything just to get him out of office. And I really don't blame anybody for this virus. I don't blame the press. I don't blame Democrats. I actually believe in science. By the time we found out it had broken out of Wuhan, I think the AAR, after action review on this is going to find it was already here. Some of the flu cases we had in the fall We're COVID. Remember, COVID is three different strains that got to Airborne. And I think the fear of pushing us to April is it's still mutating. You don't know what it's doing. It's killing kids and young people. So that could be a different strain than the original strain. But if you're going to say fiddle, faddle, When you fought every implementation of quarantine. If you're going to say, where's the supplies? And you have supplies and you know you have supplies and you're just lying. Donald Trump's playing politics with this. But the Democrats and the media are playing an even worse type of politics. Because they'll go research to find every fucking thing on the planet to try to blame Trump. They won't look up, other than locals... Cuomo, you're lying, you have ventilators, they're in a warehouse, or they won't go to that hospital and go, well, you saw it on social media, but really the hospital in Queens is not contagion, it's just not, what I am really surprised is there's a story that broke on Drudge, it is from, um, where the hell was that? Uh, God damn it. I had it too. Shit. Uh, let me pause for a second. Cause I, I was going to put it out and then I didn't. It was Sri Lanka. And, and I'm surprised this didn't come out in our media. I'm not lying. This is from the daily star UK. So some of what they print is, you know, garbage. But I, I I was expecting this to be on the header of CNN. Man in coronavirus quarantine runs into street naked before biting woman to death. A 34-year-old man is reported to have started tearing his clothes off after a week of self-isolation before running in the street naked and launching his attack on a sleeping woman. I expected that to be all over the place. And somehow to say, had Trump not spoke of opening the economy, this man would not have killed that woman. That's how bad they've been. But that's some fucking World War Z shit right there. And it happened in Sri Lanka, but I'm surprised it hasn't been anywhere, or everywhere, because you expect it now. Yes, the virus is bad. Yes, people are dying. But when you have a dysfunctional government that has been made dysfunction by the media continually undermining that administration, investigating that administration, and the moment in January when they're saying, we need to do this, and it's clearly obvious that New York City was ignoring it and saying, go fuck yourself, go to Chinese Lunar New Year. Well, that's why you have 60,679 cases. But once again, there's only 1,063 deaths. So to close on the numbers, uh, nationally, as we did the podcast, it went up 146.27, 2650. Florida, Massachusetts. Oh, I fucked that up. Sorry. uh, New York, New Jersey has almost a hundred thousand. California, Michigan, have five thousand five hundred for Michigan, sixty three hundred for California, Florida, fifty four, Massachusetts, forty nine, fifty five, Washington, Illinois, they're all around that same forty eight, forty nine. Um Louisiana has 4,000, Pennsylvania 34, Texas 28, Georgia 2600, Colorado 23, Connecticut 19, 1993, Tennessee 1818, 18. Uh, where is Colorado, did I read Colorado for my sis, 2300 in Colorado and Oregon has 548, Oregon's done a really good job, whatever they're doing out there or just didn't get out there. Before it broke, it's pretty good. Um, But Tennessee, it's all in the same area. It keeps coming up. And Tennessee just got 10 deaths, plus 3 overnight. Um, But we're still only talking uh, less than 1% mortality rate. So it's not the global killer as bad as Italy. And it's clearly not as bad as China which, take it for what it's worth, the low end is at least 46,000 people died just in Wuhan, if you count their urns. But that same site that talked about the cell phone is the same site that the media was using to claim the amount of people on the beaches in Florida. I shit you fucking not. But they're not using the data in reference to China. And why? I mean, I understand, once again, you hate Trump. But if your business is putting out factual information,s China is officially saying they lost 2,500 people. But by all assessments, it must have been way higher. And yes, I don't want to belittle the 150,000 people that have it right now, but we're a large country with much more freedom than China so let's be honest we're we're doing the best we can as a country and even Democrats who I'm sure are dragging their feet on a lot of shit and are going to automatically blame Trump for political purposes I really don't think anybody's out there trying to get people killed but that we would during election cycle. Say things like that. It just shows we're garbage. We're fucking garbage people. And we probably need to address that. So this wraps up another episode of Flavor Politics Podcast. Please feel free to share with your family and friends. Send comments to FOPPODCAST at gmail.com. podcast. Gmail.com. Get the show on SoundCloud, Pocket Static, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and Pocket Cast. Check out the Facebook page at FOP Podcast and the Twitter page at FOP Tony Reed. So, we're going to uh, go with a 4 20 4th of April, Year of Our Lord, 2020 podcast. It'll be news and social media nuggets and any big line... Um important information in the beginning but we'll have some fun do it on Saturday so you have something for your next week I once again hope all of you are staying safe I want to give one more shout out to all those people that are in the warehouse and grocery business first responders nurses doctors um it is a pretty cool thing I watched the um iHeartRadio thing on Fox last night and they did do some really nice um segments on these people that are out there in the front lines, you know, doing what they do. So it it has got to be emotionally wrecking to, especially if you, like they had one lady who just back to back went two days caring for two patients, um, each night and they just died every night and that's just got to be really tough. So God be with them. And, And although we started this show with religions, the reason for everything wrong in the world, Um, I hope all of us take a time to pray to your God, or if you don't believe in a God, take time to just think positive thoughts. Every night before I lay my head down, I say a prayer for everybody who's suffering with this, everybody who's lost their family, and hoping that it does go over um, and we get back to business as usual, because it's clearly obvious this is not a good, it's not a good look on America right now, as much as we can sit and talk about these hardworking people If you go on social media and you watch our news right now, there's a lot of hateful people. And uh, that's pretty bad. So please be safe out there. As always, disconnect from your devices a little bit each day and watch some TV and spend time with those family members. Because this is the, the silver lining in the cloud. At least you get to spend time with family. And tune back in on Saturday for our next exciting episode of Flyover Politics Podcast, as always, thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you for
10: listening to Flyover
3: Politics Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page
10: at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count. I'm the
3: sun. Thank you.